Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Action Radio. This is Greg Fengliff coming to you from the historic district of downtown Milton on the banks of the beautiful Blackwater River. And now let's get into Action Radio. Well, it's Monday, so I'm completely disorganized. I have no idea what I'm doing, and I'm looking at the, my calendar going, huh, what am I supposed to do today? <laughs> it's just, uh, there's something about Mondays that are just incredibly disorganized around here, but that's okay. Um, this is this is a weird. This is, I'll tell you right now. I must tell you my my opening stories because this is a weird day. Uh, we've got uh, Jonathan mostly coming in with the legal report in the next hour, and Dorothy Diana with uh, sex and sensuality uh, in the third hour. So it's uh, Mondays are interesting around here. So I get the first hour. I get to kind of talk and chat and uh, tell you what's on my mind. Uh, the problem with Mondays is I have you know from Friday after the show to prepare. Which leaves way too much time and, and way too much creativity, and things get a little nuts. But then something happened last night that I can't explain, and so I'm going to talk to you and, and see what you think. But um, the more I do action radio, the stronger my belief in God. And I, I know that initially seems like a contradiction, but the way things are going, uh, as the saying goes, let go and let God, or, or in my case, let go completely and just hang on, because <laughs> that's how fast things are moving. Um, last week we had Wendy Rogers on the show, who is one of our, our great patriots, America Firsters. She's a, a state senator from Arizona running for re-election, one of the first women pilots in the Air Force. And just uh, it was fabulous to have her on the show. That was Thursday. The day after that, Friday, uh, we had Peter Navarro on the show. And, and Peter is one of Trump's most senior advisors, trade, economics, China. Uh, he was there from the beginning. He was there all the way through COVID. He was there seeing everything that went well and things that didn't go well. And he was fabulous. And I got a chance to introduce him to our bills, uh, three of them. Of course, the big three, which is vaccine product liability, uh, big tech censorship, removal, and uh, the, the big one, which I don't think he really quite understood, which is fine, because, I mean, I present these things, uh, and, I present, and I told him, too, I said, look, I'm, I'm just trying to introduce you to these ideas. I'll send you the bills, and you can get a chance to read them. And he says, yeah, that sounds good. So, uh, and the third one, of course, being a bill to um, prevent Congress from uh, borrowing money anymore. And so we just take away the power of Congress to borrow money. And initially people, initially people go, oh, no. And of course, they race to defend Congress, which is really kind of an interesting phenomenon. They say, oh, no. Well, how are we going to wage wars? <laughs> Well, hopefully we won't, because the, the wars we've been waging since World War II have been stupid, needless, and cost trillions of dollars and didn't accomplish anything. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people were injured, crippled, and, and killed uh, in those wars on both sides. Uh, that would be Korea, Vietnam, Iraq, and Afghanistan, and now Ukraine. And Ukraine would never have been a war if we hadn't uh, given all the weapons and money to Ukraine. You know, they would have been forced to settle because Russia had overwhelming forces, and um, you know, then Ukraine was, was pretty much a virtual dictatorship. Anyway, so you got, you got two dictatorships. There's no, there's no good people here, <laughs> is what I'm saying. And, uh, you know, had Trump been in charge, he would have, you know, brought them together like, uh, like uh, you know, Reykjavik or like uh, Gorbachev and, and uh, Reagan. And they would have hashed it out. You know, would it have been a great arrangement? Probably not. Um, you know, but uh, it'd be interesting to see what that would have produced as opposed to what uh, what's happening now, an ongoing war to make, you know, our folks rich and, spend, you know, billions of dollars and, you know, not do things we should be doing, like burying power lines, you know, after Hurricane Ian and um, all the other infrastructure things we could be doing while we're sending money to Ukraine and wasting it on so-called green energy that doesn't work. And so it's a fascinating time. Anyway, so, so back to God. So 
I've come to the conclusion that there's no way one person could have all the ideas that I have. Certainly not all the good ones, and, and a lot of them are good. I mean, they're really good ideas. I'm looking at it and go, how do you think of that? <laughs> you know, so I'm thinking to myself, so now, now, it's getting, now, now God's getting more overt. So instead of just you know, sort of hinting and kind of suggesting, now, now I was woken up in the middle of the night. It's 2.30 in the morning. I'm, 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 all of a sudden, I'm wide awake, and his name, his name's in my brain, and the name was David Jorel. And I have no idea who that is. Didn't ring a bell. Wasn't anything I thought of. So why am I thinking of this name? And, then, and this whole like scenario is playing in my head and something, you know, some adventure, whatever it was, some wild dream. Uh, anyway, so this, 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 this name pops in my head. Okay, well, all right. So I'm awake now. I might as well look it up. So I go to my computer and look it up. Well, there's nothing. There is a person there, but it's not particularly anybody interesting. I thought, well, that's not right. Well, then I look down below that and there's a David Orell. And I'm thinking, oh. Oh, okay. Now, who's this guy? <laughs> you know, and apparently he's an economist, but it, not just any economist. He's actually a quantum economist. Okay. Now, guess what I know about quantum economics? <laughs> nothing. <laughs> Absolutely nothing. I don't know who this guy is. I don't know why he's in my brain. I don't know why that name was put there. But as I look at this and I'm starting to read this stuff, David Orell, O-R-R-E-L-L, quantum economics is an entirely new way of looking at economics. You know, the neoclassical model basically doesn't work. And I, I never thought it did. And we're, you know, we're trying to predict things with a model that doesn't work. It's like the climate change model. It doesn't work. So I'm looking at this quantum economics, and he's got the, the physics and the probability of uh, you know, m- you know, uh, the science of, of predictions. And he's talking about money being this duality of, of thought and reality. You know, there's a reality of what money is, you know, paper, ink, things like that, you know, coins, metal. And then there's a the thought of what it is, you know, power. Uh, all kinds of like, purchasing power, medium exchange, all that. And so I'm going to get into this, but that, that's how my life goes these days. You know, as I, if we have an Oh My God page uh, where we discuss all things uh, religious, godlike, scriptural, you know, uh, and, and those, those don't always agree. Um, of course, I post, you know, a thing there that said, well, apparently I was woke up at 2.30 in the morning with a name in my head. And, and I guess as, as far as God's concerned, I'm on call now 24-7. <laughs> so that's how I look at it. Like, I'm on call. Okay, fine. Just go ahead, bug me. Wake me up in the middle of the night. I'm, I could fall asleep in the middle of the show today. I have no idea. I'm tired now because I've been awake for, let's see, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I've been awake for almost six hours for no reason that I can think of. Well, there is a reason. You know, like I say, I got woken up for, for a reason to discover all this. It's like, God, could you have waited until I slept a few more hours? Did I have to know then? Apparently I did. Okay, bye. So here we go. So I'm just kind of going with it. So it's been an interesting, um, interesting weekend. I was thinking also that um, – we really owe a debt of gratitude to the Saudis. The Saudi Arabians have just blown open our midterms. So whereas Brandon wanted to conceal the fact that uh, um, they were or they were trying to push the Saudis into not cutting back production until after the midterms, all so so you know Brandon and Obama. This is this is this is Obama Brandon three, right? This is Obama's third term. So Obama Brandon three. Uh, didn't want the mid, you know, the uh, the fact that the Saudis were going to cut production to come out till after the midterms. So they care about the midterms. They don't care about you. They don't care that you're going to be freezing, starving, uh, your retirement's disappearing, money's you know becoming progressively more worthless at the rate of eight to well, it's about 13% less than when Brandon took office. Actually, 13.5. Uh, so your money's lost well over 10% of its value. So your dollar is now worth about 87 cents. Good luck with actually 86 and a half cents. Good luck with that. You know, and what's it going to be next year? You know, when this keeps it, that's what inflation does. You know, so uh, this is why if you if you pass, you know, start screaming about my constitutional amendment to uh, prevent Congress from ever borrowing any more money, we'll never have inflation again because inflation starts with spending money, borrowing money, printing money and putting so much money out there that each dollar is worth less. That's what inflation is. It's an inflation of the money supply. The fact that prices go up is a byproduct of inflation, but prices rising is not inflation. 
So anyway, so I want to thank the Saudis. Thank you, Saudis, for uh, for you know the fact they can't stand Brandon. Uh, they can't stand the fact that Brandon and, and Obama, Obama Brandon three, is giving um, Iran a nuclear bomb, making everything possible so they can blow up Israel and who knows which other Arab countries. What do you think they're only going to stop at Israel? No, Iran wants to run the Middle East. I always have. It's Persia. Persia had an empire. Didn't you guys watch the Three Hundred Spartans? You know, Thermopylae, uh, King Leonidas, you know, all that kind of stuff. That, that's the Persians. That's Iran. <laughs> it's the same country. All right, they, you know, they haven't changed. They just, uh, you know, gone from, uh, you know, what they wore during, uh, you know, the Spartan days to, uh, you know, uh, turbans and mullahs and robes and things like that. They look like that uh, cocktail character in Demolition Man. Anyway. So that's where we are. So this is what's happening. So the Saudis were pissed off at that. They don't want the, the Arab countries don't like the Palestinians. So, so let, let's get this out here. Um, um, oh, uh, what was her name? Claire Lopez. So I'm trying to get back on the show. Uh, talked about this, that the Palestinians don't exist. There is no such thing as the Palestinian people. It's a made up country from Britain. They're a Hashemite, you know, sort of like refugee rejects from the other Arab countries that nobody wanted. And so they stuck them there, <laughs> you know, wherever they are. Right? So there is no Palestinian state. There never has been a Palestinian state. As far as I'm concerned, there never should be a Palestinian state. The land is Israel. Okay. Biblical, you know, going back thousands and thousands of years, it's Israel. All right. Belongs to the Jews. Okay. Everybody got that? All right. So one, so my solution is a one state solution. The Palestinians want to rejoin the other Arab countries where they came from. That's fine. You know, it's time to reunify. <laughs> it's trying to reunify the Palestinian people with their original countries. Uh, and so that's the, so, so the Saudis are, are pissed off at that too. Uh, and now, in fact, one Saudi, I was talking to a friend of mine last night about this, that a friend of mine, that, excuse me, that the Saudi, I'm going to make all kinds of mistakes today. <laughs> too bad this is a podcast because who knows what I'm going to say. So the Saudis last year, one of the ministers said, well, you know, Brandon, if you want oil, why don't you just drill for it? which is exactly the point. You should be drilling for it, but they can't drill for it because ideologically they hate America and they hate American oil. They don't, it's, it's, and, I, and I posted this on Facebook and this, this got quite a reaction over the weekend too. And I said that uh, it's not oil that they hate, it's American oil. They don't hate oil. If they hated oil, they wouldn't be going to Venezuela and, uh, you know, and, and Russia, you know, and uh, well, I, they're not going to Russia, but they wouldn't be going to Venezuela and Saudi Arabia and all these other countries to get it. Iran. Because, you know, they don't have to get oil from other places. We have plenty of oil here. All they have to do is, is reverse what they did at the start of their insurrection, their regime, their, their coup, and just uh, leave the Trump policies in place. We would have plenty of oil. And gas would be $1.85 a gallon. We wouldn't have any of these problems. There'd be no inflation. There'd be no supply problems. There would be just like it was during the Trump administration, okay, the real administration. So if you want to know what happens when you reverse all the Trump policies, you know this. Okay, so what's the cure for this? Well, that's to reverse the policies again, back to the original Trump policies. So that's where we stand now, right? So it's a fascinating thing. Anyway, what else is going on? The, I, I had a thought that um, I, was, I was wondering how much the, the taxpayers, I heard a report that taxpayers have spent, you know, X billion of dollars on, on the COVID jabs. You know, and then I thought, wait a minute, uh, that's kind of strange. So the, the, uh, the, we, the taxpayers, have paid, and it turns out to be $18 billion. Forbes magazine quoted $18 billion. So $18 billion was blown on a COVID jab that, as we know, doesn't prevent COVID and, and kills people with myocarditis and, you know, all kinds of blood clots and all kinds of other problems and injuries. And that's why we have a bill to, uh, uh, which is actually going places too, our product, our vaccine product liability bill. Just in a sideline. It was fascinating being able to have the privilege to talk to Peter Navarro, senior Trump advisor, about our bills on vaccine product liability, big tech censorship, and uh, a constitutional amendment to take away the power of Congress to borrow money. That's why I got into talk radio right there, that, that, that you know, half-hour time that we had. He thought it was only 15 minutes. Hell, I can't even get warmed up in 15 minutes. Keto. So we had half an hour. 
Uh, but Peter's going to come back, Peter Navarro, and we'll get him back. I, I don't, I'm not going to bother him until after the elections. These guys are all going to be busy um, between now and the election time. But afterwards, you know, they got to get ready for the 2024 campaign because that starts November 9th, which is the day after. So, so the election is Tuesday, November 8th. Um, we get the results. Uh, we find out how much Democrat cheating there was. We see which elections were stolen. And then we move on to the campaign of 2024, November 9th, and we see what Congress looks like. So that's how it's going to go. And, and of course, November 9th, the, the Republicans are, are going to declare, you know, yes, we're really proud. Thank you so much for electing us to the House and to the Senate. But we can't change anything because Brandon's still in the White House and he'll veto anything we do. So they, go, they get to go back to being losers again. That, that's what I see happening. So it's going to be a busy couple of days. So it's going to be a great election day. We're going to win. Uh, and then we, the, we, the, the independents, I'm, I'm an America firster. I'm a, I'm a, a constitutional independent America firster. That, that's where I am politically. Right? So we're going to win. We're going to win on, on, uh, because nobody likes these policies. <laughs> they really suck. But then we're going to lose the next day when the Republicans declare that they can't do anything because Brandon's in the White House and he'll veto any of their efforts. So they're going to say, well, we'll just have to give up. We'll just have to wait for 2024. We'll get them again. At which point we scream and yell and cause rebellion, which is what we should do. Should have done it a long time ago. All right. So back to my thought that the $18 billion that taxpayers paid uh, for the jab uh, should be accounted against the profits of big pharma. So how, can, how is it the big pharma pays no development costs, no research costs, no transportation? They don't have to pay for the grants. They don't have to pay for the licensing. They don't have to pay for the manufacture, distribution. They don't have to pay for anything. And yet they get billions of dollars in profits. Hmm, nice deal if you can get it, right? So my thought is that every dollar that was that was taxpayer paid in regards to COVID in any capacity regarding the snake oil jab, uh, messenger RNA, uh, genetically altering, non, you know, non-authorized uh, uh, experimental, whatever they call them, jabs, um, every dollar that went to that from taxpayers should be reimbursed, of course, by or, or taken from Big Pharma and put back in the Treasury. And, of course, Big Pharma's profits will then be what comes after uh, expenses. So expenses to me would be, you know, normally expenses for a corporation, you know, research, development, advertising, marketing, uh, labor costs, things like that. Uh, manufacturer distribution, liability insurance, except for big pharma. We're working on that. But those are the normal costs of doing business. You know, compliance costs uh, with government regulation costs, things like that. So whatever's left over after all of the expenses, um, that's called profit. Well, see, the big pharma, it's, it's not, they're not making a profit off what's coming after expenses. They're making a profit with no expenses. So I thought, well, that's not right. <laughs> you know, so now I'm thinking, okay, so what we have to do is, is, is get another bill out that says, great, big pharma. You know, so you're going to reimburse the taxpayers for every dollar that went into it because you're making profits. Otherwise, they can't make any profit from this. I mean, you can't make a profit for something you didn't research, develop, produce, and are liable for, right? I mean, that's, that's, how, that's how the free market works. In fact, liability is one of the great guarantees that the products are actually going to work. You know, with no liability, there's no guarantee the products will work. So Congress at least should have the, the guts to admit that. Say, oh, we don't care if they work or not. We're not going to make them liable. You know, okay, there we go. So that's what's going on in my head. <laughs> you know, there's more stuff, too. But I want to get to a couple of articles. Actually, let me play a couple things real quickly here, too. So now I'm awake. Uh, again, I was up at 2.30. And uh, if you missed the beginning of the show, I'm sorry. But uh, wait for the podcast. But, uh, again, if I fall asleep completely in the middle of the show, uh, don't be surprised because I was up researching a bunch of stuff last night. All right, let me play a couple things, and then we'll get into uh, two articles I found that were fascinating. And this discussion of rights comes up all the time. People get confused intentionally because there are government officials that confuse you. You know, what is a natural right? What, what is a God-given right? What is a fundamental right? And what is a human right? Well, in the next 45 minutes, I seek to answer those questions, and then I can shut up and let Jonathan talk, and then the hour after that, I can let Diana talk. Excuse me, Dorothy talk. She's got two first names. Okay, don't blame me. 
Again, this is a crazy Monday. Um, we also have live chat. Live chat is open. So if you want to text me on live chat, feel free. Our Skype line is open, although you always have to call the day before uh, so I can see your account and go, oh, okay, I think I authorize you. And that's how that works. All right. So let me play some, some stuff for you here. And I'll be right back in just a little bit. Here at Action Radio, we are looking for sponsors. We have 30 and 60 second spots available for your announcements. And we have three minute live call-ins to talk about your products and services available. Action Radio is the next evolution beyond talk radio. Join us and let us help your business evolve. Think about being a sponsor of the future and not just a listener and help us help your business grow as you help us plunge headlong into breaking new ground here on Action Radio every day. Do you know your way around healthcare, insurance, pharmacies, surgery, alternative treatments and choices? I don't. Which is why I'm so glad I met Priscilla Romans, had her on Action Radio, and learned about health patient advocacy. She is the founder of Great Care. And now as an affiliate of Great Care, we are proud to offer through our discount code, WYL, which stands for Write Your Laws, a 10% discount. Grave Care saves you both time and money. They provide medical advocacy, consultation, advice, and recommendations nationwide. Their website is gravecare.com. That's G-R-A-I-T-H care.com. You can email them at gravecare.adm at gmail.com or call them at 469-864-7149. That's 469-864-7149. Great care, better health through better knowledge and advocacy. Greg Penglis here for my book, The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction. Everyone at some point in their life wants to learn how to fly. Few try, even fewer go on to get a license. I believe a major reason for that is how we teach people how to fly. My book is designed to help you navigate the flight training system, but it's so much more than that. It really describes an entirely new way to teach flying. So if you've never tried a lesson or got discouraged in your training and quit for any reason, this book can help you. Don't be a rope pilot who just follows procedures. Be a thinking pilot who makes great decisions, who understands all the reasons why we do what we do. You can incorporate these principles into your own flight training at any time. The Complete Guide to Flight Instruction is featured on the Action Radio with Greg Panklos Facebook page and is available from Amazon.com. Action Radio. Dangerously cool. Okay, so we're back, and it's Monday, and uh, we have uh, a busy week. Things are changing. I've already got a new guest for Thursday. We're going to talk about education and the bill to put uh, mandatory uh, that uh, video cameras be in classrooms so parents can watch uh, and see what's going on. So that's new. And so, so a lot of things are happening here. Uh, it's, very, it's very interesting. We, again, we, we ended several reports over the last couple of weeks. 
And so we have plenty of time. So I'm hoping for new folks. Hoping to get Matt Gates back on the on the show, our our, our congressman here in the uh, the first district of Florida, up here in the Panhandle. That would be nice. I got time from now. So 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 folks is, and the, the the Gates you know staff, if you're listening, we got uh, we got plenty of, of room here. And uh, yeah, it'd be good company after Wendy Rogers, Peter Navarro, you know, being on the Emerald Robinson show, having her on my show, having Brandon House, and both from Lindell TV. And uh, we're just moving up. I mean, we're we're just we, we action radio keeps growing. The guests keep getting. Uh, more interesting and, and higher up the, the political uh, ladder, so to speak. And it's just, it's really fascinating what's going on here. All right. So here's an article I found, and this is a website called Patriot News by you for you. And so it's a, it was an iPatriot. No, it looks, yeah, cause, or one Patriot. Uh, it's, it's something like that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, no, it's iPatriot. So I, iPatriot, I guess it's an I Mac or something. Who knows? Anyway, iPatriot uh, is little I, uh, capital P A T R I O T. It's interesting that Patriot is made up of two words, Pat and Riot. I just don't know where I thought of that from. So it says the difference between rights and God-given rights. Okay. So again, the uh, let me give you the quick synopsis here. I'll sort of you know cut to the chase, as it were. That rights, natural rights, are, are the rights you're born with. Okay. God-given rights are the nat- are, are, God, are natural rights that are God-given. <laughs> okay. So in other words, they're they're, they're kind of almost a, a conflicting thing. Natural rights are the things that are assumed to be natural uh, that you're assumed to be born, born with because you're a human being. Making them God-given uh, makes them uh, unique and outside the realm of, of government and outside the realm of people and outside the, the natural world. So in other words, these are rights that not only are, are the, the universal in terms of the universe, you know, in terms of as a human being, you know, you have, you have natural rights. You have a right to yourself to defend yourself. You have a right to, you know, prosper and property and, and uh, you know, all those kind of you know, everything from, uh, you know, you have a right to be free from outrageous, you know, criminal prosecutions and things like that. So there's, there's a bunch of things, you know, some of them are enshrined in the Bill of Rights, but just natural rights are the things that we classify as natural to make up your humanity that occurred naturally. I mean, it's just, it, it, it's assumed to be, you know, from nature, this from the, from our life, from the fact that we are born, uh, as human beings, you know, with that comes natural rights. Uh, and then birth rights, you know, God-given birth rights are, are just a, a higher level of that. It's a higher expression of that, that rights, you know, are, are given to everybody, you know, by God at birth. And because they're rights by God, they're beyond government. Uh, these are rights that can't be touched. These are, you know, and it's, a, it's an interesting concept. It goes back and forth and back and forth. Now, the reason that governments hate this is because governments want to control you, and they can't control you if, if your rights are outside of their control. And that's the whole point of making them outside of their control. And that's the whole right of uh, this whole reason that we define our rights as, as by God. You know, governments do not give birth to us. Thank God. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we are created. Okay. You know, and uh, by our creator, we are created, you know, as human beings with certain rights and they the rights. You guys read the Declaration of Independence. I mean, I'm pretty much quoting right from there. Jefferson said, you know, we are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. Okay. Among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Among these, not all of them, you know. There's, there's other stuff, too. Um, where, things, where governments get into trouble is where they try and define all kinds of extra rights for people that don't exist, in other words, at the expense of other people, or that we have to change our life to accommodate their rights. You never have to change your lifestyle to accommodate somebody else's rights, and you should. Um, well, I may have to think about that, because I know people would then say, well, I'm afraid of guns. I, I, can't let you, I, don't, I have to change my life to accommodate uh, gun owners. Well, yeah, apparently you do, because if you're afraid of guns, and that's, that's a fear that you have, that's not my problem. <laughs> you know, because I have a right to... Uh, you know, own and carry firearms as, you know, and the government can't touch that as stated in the Constitution. So the concept, I'm probably rambling a bit here. Again, this is a crazy Monday. So the, the Constitution, you know, prevents government from touching certain rights. 
It doesn't list all your rights, uh, and it doesn't list all the powers of government in the Constitution. It only, only lists those that are delegated to the federal government. The rest are reserved to the states and the people. So, but this gets confused because governments want to confuse you. So what they did was they introduced these new concepts. And these new concepts are, are fundamental rights and human rights. Okay, so fundamental rights are kind of dangerous as a concept because what they're saying is that these are the rights that government, you know, uh, thinks are fundamental for you. So in other words, the government gives you your fundamental rights. So the government, in all their wisdom and, and generosity and benevolence and, you know, uh, magnanimity, I'm, I'm doing words today, uh, says that these are, these are fundamental. They declare the fundamental rights. Well, the fact that government declares rights, that, that's already wrong because governments can't do that. Okay? So if you believe in natural rights and God-given rights you know, as a higher order of natural rights, then the idea that the government declares fundamental rights is an anathema because anything the government gives you can take away. That's the whole point of keeping rights out of the realm of government. Human rights are even worse. Okay? Human rights, especially when they say human rights are based on dignity. I'll get that in a second article. This may take more time than I think. Human, you know, the idea that rights, um, that, uh, that you have a right to dignity. Well, dignity means something is, you know, dignity is what's given to you. you the whole idea of dignity, you know, means you're, you're owed something. Well, if I'm going to live in dignity, I need, you know, a house, a car, and, you know, a certain level of income and, uh, you know, a certain level of independence and I don't have to work. And da, da, da. So dignity, when you start talking about, you know, human rights or dignity, then the government defines what it means to live with dignity. Well, that means that when then they define how much that they take from you to give to somebody else so they can live in dignity. Okay. And so dignity is not a right. It's not. It's a condition. You know, it, it's something that you feel yourself. And of course, anything you feel is outside the realm of rights. Okay. Rights have nothing to do with feelings. And this is where people get confused. They also say in the, um, uh, in the idea of human rights that all humans have the same rights. Oh, really? So, so citizens of Madagascar have a right to, uh, you know, live with me in my place here? I don't think so. You know, does, does anybody have a right to come to any other country they want? Well, that's what they say. And to live in dignity? That's, what's, uh, that's what this big push for all these illegals coming into our country. Well, they're just humans. They're just people. Well, we're not questioning that. Of course they're humans, and of course they're people. But do they have rights in our country? No. <laughs> you know? And they say, well, that's, that's only, you're only talking about citizenship rights. Those are limited. I mean, human rights extend beyond that. No, they don't. You know, rights are based on individual rights. Well, an individual right does not mean that someone can take from you and can come to your place and, and, and take your, your rights and property and things away from you. That that's the, goes beyond the definition of rights. Unless you're the United Nations that wants to control everything, in which case you, you, you take away individual rights, replace them with human rights, and you make it so that nobody has any rights at all, which is what this is all about. So let's get back to iPatriot, uh, September 6, 2018, when the author who I can't find yet uh, I'll look for the author of this article, says, starts off, can you name all your human rights? It's hard, I know. The list keeps growing, and that should make you very suspicious. And what makes the task all the more difficult is that the idea of a human right has changed as well. And let me just make sure I'm starting at the beginning of this. Oh, it starts off with a Paul Ryan quote, which is kind of funny because I don't think he believes it. He says, our rights come from nature and God, not government. And that's natural rights and God-given rights. It's basically what I explained, right? I love how I, say, I, I see these things after I explain them. It's kind of funny. And then the author says, and what makes the task all the more difficult is that the idea of a human right has changed as well. These you know, says things had never been thought of, uh, things that had never been thought of as a right before, you know, have now become rights. And that should also make you very suspicious. I think Paul Ryan wrote this, wrote this. I think this is just his quote, because I don't think Paul Ryan would write something this good. Just an opinion. He says, something is changing, and we need to know who is doing the changing and why. It says, our country is based on the idea of human rights. They were unique among, is this the right article? 
difference between rights and God-given rights. Okay, all right, let's, uh, let me keep going here because I have another one here. Let me just check my other article. Let me show up the right article. I got two of these things. Oh, I do have the right article. Hmm. Okay, maybe I should uh, have to read these. Things. I read these you know, like days before I actually report on them. All right, anyway, it says, our country is based on the idea of human rights. They were unique among the nations of the world, but now not so much. Yes, some nations copied us, but lately we have been copying other nations. That too should make you suspicious. Okay, now I use human rights differently. So, so let's think of individual rights instead of human rights. Let's, let's go with that term. And then this article should make more sense. It says, and what is even more suspicious is that rights have ha- that have ex- existed from the founding of our country are now being called into question and demands are being made to limit, restrict, and even abolish them. Okay, this is, this is where it gets true. And things that were never considered to be rights, in fact, they were often found to be morally wrong and offensive, are now given full right status with the full legal backing of the government. Very true, too. The genius of our country is that God gave unalienable rights to people, rights that precede and supersede government. The government did not give them, and the government cannot take them away. Okay, this is the whole idea of God-given rights. So this says it really well. Rights that precede and supersede government. All right. Then it says the founders debated whether to put a list of them into the Constitution. They were concerned that people might think that these rights came from the government. They were concerned, too, that people might think that these were the only rights God had given them. And they were concerned that people might think that the government had the power to limit, change, or revoke them. It is important, too, to ask how they came to believe that God had given them rights, and what God were, uh, and what God were think were were they talking? Oh, let me start again here. It is important to ask how they came to believe that God had given them rights, and what God were they talking about? Every nation at that time believed in a God of some sort, but they were the only ones who believed in these. Uh, but we says they were the only ones who believed in these unalienable human rights. The short answer is that they believed in the God of the Bible, and that the Bible. Uh, showed humans his plans for how life is to be lived. I think this article just has some misprints in it. Maybe it's, it's tripping me up a little bit here. Anyway, it says somewhere between our founding and today, with the help of the court called Supreme. <laughs> this is how you know it's a Patriot article. Right? They don't call it the Supreme Court. They say the court called Supreme. That's interesting. It says the idea took hold that our nation, as in our government and our public life, must be neutral toward all religions. It must not favor one over another. All are equal. In practice, this came to mean that government and public life must be conducted apart from religion as if there were no such thing as religion. Religion came to be seen as people's personal views, like their preferences in books or movies or food. But no religion was seen as being true as in describing how life really is. But all this cannot be true. If our nation's founding was based on one particular religion, namely Christianity, if that religion is not true in the sense different from how any other religion might be considered true, then our country was founded on a myth, a lie, a false belief, and as such, it has no basis in reality. Along with this neutrality toward any, other, any or all religion, it was concluded that our nation was intended to be and always was a secular nation. God had no place in our government or our public life. Religion was entirely a private matter, best kept to oneself. Prior to this time, the Ten Commandments formed the moral values of our country. But as a secular country, there was no pre-made moral system to resort to. A new one had to be made up as they went along from the ground up. So if our rights don't come from God, then they must come from government. That is what is commonly known as a perfect storm. People in government like to stay in government. One reason, that they get to make the, one reason is that they get to make the rules, including the ones that affect them. Who else gets to do that? Another reason is that the government has access to seemingly unlimited amounts of money. You can get very rich being an elected official in our government. 
And one of the best ways to get elected is by what you offer the people who can vote for you. (laughs) And of course, the government has no money of its own, only what it gets from the people who pay taxes, which leads to the point about the meaning of rights being changed. The rights that our founders listed in the Bill of Rights all have to do with individual freedoms, things that people could do without government interference, restriction, or supervision. People were, well, free. The government was created, added to help keep it that way. Other countries often like to impose their will on other nations, so a national government was the best way to defend our nation from them. Well, it's actually federal, not national, but that's another discussion. There were also rights that protected people from the government, like the right to a jury uh, or legal defense. When God and Christianity were part of the fabric of our country, people didn't look to the government to solve every problem or to meet every need. But now that God has been removed from public life and government, problems arise and there's nobody else to look to for help but the government. This is why it's so important to maintain God-given rights. And understand that the rights are part of you. It's you and God. Okay? God, you know, when you were created, you were given certain rights. Okay? That's how it works. And they can't be touched by government. If you ever lose that belief, then, if you, you know, like I say, if you think for a second, the government you know, gives you rights and government can take them away. They can use what they call reasonable restrictions or, or uh, a compelling government interest to limit rights. Or, uh, you know, during a crisis or emergency, rights can be limited because, you know, it's in the public safety and, you know, the public health requires that we, uh, you know, offer these, you know, enforce these mandates. Because none of that's true. Because the rights are God-given, government cannot infringe upon them, and that includes the worst of emergencies. You know, you still have all your rights. You still have the Constitution in the worst of emergencies. That's the time you need your Constitution the most. That's the time you're, you need your rights protected the most. During the COVID pandemic is when we needed our rights protected the most. Were they? No, because people didn't follow the Constitution. All right, let's get back here. This is when the government starts giving out or recognizing new rights, they will generally fall into two categories. The first category is the establishment of a new moral standard that supersedes the old one and compels everyone to follow the new one. I can think of a bunch of examples. The First Amendment guaranteed, that, the, guaranteed the free exercise of religion. It couldn't do that unless religion was consistent with the moral values of our country. This shows that our country was a Christian nation because some well-known religions of that time burned, wind, uh, burned widows alive with their dead husbands or constantly waged war on those who did not practice their religion. Okay? Obviously, this is a biased article. Okay? I'm not saying this is all my view. I read it because it's interesting because it will challenge you and you're free to agree or disagree with any particular part of it. But I think the insights are interesting as to how two completely different articles look at rights in two completely different ways. Why don't we get to the next one? This one actually makes a lot of sense, although I do have some, uh, some disagreements as we go through. Let me get back to the article. It says two recent examples today are abortion and gay marriage. Obviously, if you don't believe in abortion, you don't have to have one, but you do have to subsidize those who do. The founders would have found that highly offensive, and so do a very large number of people today. The idea of freedom of conscience, which is how the founders often refer to this right of free exercise of religion, is trampled on as people are forced to have their money spent on something they find abhorrent. I would say the same thing about government education, by the way. The article says, it's true that God, or evolution if you prefer, gave incredible responsibility to mothers by this whole pregnancy, birth, and very intense raising process, but our society used to value the life and birth of every child, and it used to be common to be able to raise a large family on one income. That's another interesting problem, too. Now that that has been, now that has been made difficult for many families due to inflation and the loss of millions of good-paying jobs due to other government policies. Gay marriage is another example. 
it was touted before, it became a right as simply letting people love who they want. Nothing else would change. But if you can't believe what people say about the long-term effects of new things, well, says, but you can't believe what people say about the long-term effects of new things. Now people of conscience are being forced to give up their businesses and their jobs if they do not enthusiastically embrace something that was unknown throughout all human history until a few years ago. Your freedom of conscience and religion mean nothing to the government if their new secular values differ from the old religious ones. The second category of rights that government gives is that it requires compliance of everybody else to meet the rights of other people. Okay, so this is fascinating. This is the, 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 the really good parts about this article. So think about it, okay? So if you have a God-given right um, to, um, to, to practice your religion as you believe, as you see fit, you know, that means you, you can't be forced by government to uh, take on beliefs that you don't believe in, okay? That only makes sense. But now we're, we're forced to accommodate, you know, if you don't... Uh, uh, I mean, there's a big distinction between, uh, you know, having a tolerance for, for anybody else, whatever they're, however they're different from you, okay? I mean, I, we're hoping that people have a tolerance for themselves. I mean, we can assume that, right? But if you, if you don't have a tolerance for, uh, you know, folks that are whatever, different, older, younger, taller, shorter, different skin colors, different religions, different sexual preferences or orientations, whatever that kind of stuff is, all right? Um, I, don't, I have a problem with people that don't, have, don't accept other people for however they accept themselves. I do have a problem with those other people trying to force their beliefs on me and make me uh, condone and enthusiastically support whatever practice they have that I may not. Okay? Because part of the rights of, of individuality is you express your rights in individual ways and you cannot be forced to, to uh, you know, maintain a right of somebody else that you don't agree with. <laughs> you know, if it's a political thing like this. In other words, if the government's giving a right to like say the, the LGBTQ agenda. In other words, transgender is not a right. It's a, it's a, it's a mental health issue. All right. So I, we don't have, so society should not be made to accommodate an entire group that the government has identified as a special group for special rights. I mean, rights have to be universal. That's, that's what makes them rights. All right. So everybody has a right to keep their arms. Everybody has a right to due process. Everybody has a right to, uh, you know, express their religion without the government creating a religion for us that we have to participate in. Everybody has a right to, you know, all the, that's what the Constitution's all about. They give you a Bill of Rights for a reason, all right? But that doesn't mean the government can take certain people, give them special rights, and then have us mandate that we, we accept those rights. That's where it gets wrong, okay? So if rights aren't universal, uh, if they don't apply to everybody, then they're not rights. Anyway, it says the second category of rights that government gives us is that it requires the compliance of everybody else to meet the rights of other people. Again, this takes two forms. One is the right to be protected from free speech of other people. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't exist, right? The founders would have highly objected to this. If you read a lot in the early writings of our country, you will see that much of what was said, particularly about public figures, was very crude and often far from the truth. Yeah, they lied. <laughs> okay. So how do you meet the lies in free speech? Well, you, you tell the truth. You know, now, there's still things of libel and slander. In other words, if you, if you libel and slander somebody, you just outright lie about them. Okay, there's a penalty. They can sue you for that. Okay, defamation of character. You're just outright lying about them, especially if it's for a political purpose, an election or something like that. That's why we have libel and slander laws. But if someone accuses you of libel or slander to shut you up, then your defense is the truth. You know, if, if Nancy Pelosi sleeps with fuzzy blue teddy bears and you know that to be true and you say that, that's not libel or slander. Okay, I'm not saying Nancy Pelosi does sleep with fuzzy blue teddy bears. I just like that example because it's funny. Okay, and it makes you think about Nancy Pelosi sleeping with fuzzy blue teddy bears. See how propaganda works? You, you can't get that thought out of your head. Sorry. <laughs> I just want to show you how propaganda works. But that's the point. The point is that if I said that, 
in an accusatory way saying that I know this to be true when it's not. Well, I hope it's not. You know, that would be libel or slander because, you know, I can't prove it. But if I actually know that she does and she actually does sleep with fuzzy blue teddy bears, then the truth that she does makes it not libel and slander. It's actually truth. So it's very complicated, but that's how it works. In other words, um, the whole idea of free speech is that the most protected speech is usually the most defensive speech. I mean, speech really isn't value unless somebody is offended. That's the whole point. And yet, if, it's, if you go to human rights and dignity and all that kind of stuff, then, then free speech that offends people isn't, isn't allowed. Okay? Only free speech that's, that's, that's very tolerant and accepted under a government standard is allowed. This is why the, that would be a human right. Okay? This is why the human rights are so dangerous and the UN Declaration of Rights and rights become a charter from the government and all this other stuff. Anyway, it says, but more particularly, these new rights put the burden of deciding what speech is acceptable on the hearer rather than the speaker. And the government, the media, and the public will use every means they have to shame, shut down, or prosecute violators of this policy. And because the hearers now determine the validity of the speech, free speech is being highly restricted, a large part because people are afraid to speak freely. That's called a chilling effect, by the way. Free speech has now become very costly. Yeah, and so uh, it says this is simply wrong, but it is the natural result when a government establishes a new moral order Secularism, secularism over a country's original moral order, religious or Christian. This, I want to focus on this point a little bit. And I'll get to the other article in, uh, in just a minute here. I may not go through all of this one. I want to you know, give it a balanced approach, as they say. But the whole idea of, of this country being the moral order, I mean, it's both, it, we were founded on Christian principles. Okay? And so, you know, Ten Commandments, you know, and those principles became the basis of our laws uh, and then our rights. You know, and with, with the government and there was no the founders had no problem, but, you know, with a moral code of religion uh, influencing the, the legal code. In fact, that was the whole basis of our legal code is our moral code from religion. That's how it works. So nowadays they say, well, that's that's uh, that's illegal. The Constitution has a separation of church and state. No, it doesn't. And it's very clear how this works. The gov- it's a one way. It's a one way thing. So if you if you read you know, Thomas Jefferson's letter to the Baptists. Uh, and, of course, the first thing to do is, is read, you know, the Baptist letter to Thomas Jefferson. Otherwise, you don't understand. They asked the question. He provided the answer. If you get the answer without the question, you, then it's like playing Jeopardy, where you never get the question, so you never know if you're right. Anyway, the point was that religion, that people's beliefs, that the moral code, that Christianity or any religion you want, uh, um, can have an influence on government and can be brought into government uh, affairs and all kinds of things. There's no problem with that. The Constitution doesn't have an issue with that. What the Constitution says is the government itself can't form a religion. So religion can influence government, but government cannot establish a religion. That's the difference. It's one way. It works one way. In religion, uh, especially Christianity, because we're mostly a Christian nation, but we're a bunch of other religions too, but the whole idea of religion as putting a moral pressure on government is perfectly valid. Perfectly acceptable. You can you can start any government, uh, you know, uh, uh, event with a, with a prayer. That's okay. That's fine. You know, you can have prayer in schools. You can do all these things. But what the government cannot do is require you to be Christian or any religion. Require you to, to go to the Church of America, you know, with Brandon as Archbishop and Obama as uh, you know head of the church. You know, like England, where the monarch is the head of the, the King Charles is the head of the state and also the head of the church. Okay. Well, since we're in the Obama-Biden, you know, term three, that would make Biden the Archbishop of Canterbury, you know, or the Archbishop of, I don't know, uh, Philadelphia, you know, and, uh, you know, Obama, the, the president, the, uh, you know, the head of the church of America. Okay, so we don't have that. That's the difference between us and Britain. 
So, but understanding that, understand, and that what this article is saying is that when you take religion out, when you uh, when you separate all religion from government, and of course all the moral code that goes along with religion, you get a government that has no moral code, and the government that's free to say that uh, you have to uh, accept. You know, LGBTQ rights, you have to accept transgender rights, you have to accept uh, everybody around the world, you have to accept human rights, you have to accept everybody from, uh, you know, around the world coming to your country, our country, you know, and that because they're all humans, they're all people. Well, of course, they're people. But again, we're not questioning whether they're people, we're questioning whether they have rights in the United States. And the answer is no. (laughs) Because the Constitution very clearly says we the people of the United States, not the we the people of the world. And it doesn't say we the government either. Okay, it's very clear. So once you understand that everything else makes sense. And then it says what happens is that in a secular world where God has no place, rights are viewed collectively instead of individually. That is amazingly important. And what happens in a secular world where God has no place, rights are viewed collectively instead of individually. Affirmative action, for example. Or they say that the Second Amendment is a collective right of the militia or the government. It's a bunch of nonsense. Okay, so we we in a so this is why the the people with the strongest belief in freedom also have the strongest belief in God. Because the whole idea of God and freedom is individual rights. That's how it works. Okay? You know, it's between, you know, what you do is between you and God. And it's not between you and government unless they specifically make something illegal. That is lawfully made illegal. Okay? Anyway, so the other form of government rights requires other people to pay for them. Okay? Well, I, mean, I, think, I, I think I skipped a bit. Did I skip a bit here? Hang on. I think I... Okay, I said that, or I said that. Uh, here we go. So if, here we go. Yeah, this is simply wrong, but it is the natural result when a government establishes a new moral order over a country's original moral order. Okay, there we go. The other form of government rights requires other people to pay for them. See, I've said this all the time, too. A right doesn't cost, you know, somebody else exercising a right doesn't cost you any money. If you want to exercise the Second Amendment, you've got to go buy a gun. You're not given one. You know, and no one, and you, you know, your neighbor doesn't have to pay for you to have a gun so you can exercise the Second Amendment. That's why, you know, education, you know, healthcare, food, <laughs> all the stuff we pay for, that's not a right. Because you can't require somebody else to work or give up their money or property to, to, you know, for you to exercise a right. You can't be given anything. If you're given something, it's not a right. It's welfare. That's a different thing. Anyway, the article says the other form of government rights requires other people to pay for them. If a person has a right to low-cost medical insurance, for example, then everybody else, at least those who pay taxes, is paying toward it. If a person has a right, not a full yet, full right yet, to own a home, everybody else has to pay to make that possible, often in indirect ways like shifting tax or loan costs. What happens is that in a secular world where God has no place, rights are viewed collectively. Oh, this is what I picked up before. So this is the part I skipped, all right? Rights, rights are viewed collectively instead of individually. Charity was voluntary, and by the way, it was considerable. Read de Tocqueville's Democracy in America. There used to be voluntary organizations aimed at every possible societal problem to be found at the time. Now the government has taken that over, and your freedom of choice to participate has gone. Yeah, give me the Salvation Army and the Red Cross. Uh, and... Uh, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous over any of the government programs to do the same thing. Article says some people have described this as a form of slavery, forcing people to work for other people against their will. But just saying that many people will find, but just saying that many people will find offensive because those who might say uh, that are not, I can't read this morning for some reason, because those who might say that are not usually of the same race 
of some other people who were slaves here 150 years ago. Okay? This whole new value system of secularism is fundamentally changing our country. It's happening slowly over generations so that younger people start out with new normals and nobody is teaching them the original ones. This goes the same for the millions of people who have been coming into our country over the last few decades. We don't teach them the founding principles of our country either. They might get the new watered-down, simplified version, but being far from original over time, when they vote, run for office, and make new laws, it turns our country into, in a very different direction from where it was intended to go. Oh, I think I'm almost done. <laughs> this is good. All right, I might as well finish this one, then I'll get to the other one. It's like we are being taken over, over by a foreign power, but because it is gradual and the military is not involved, nobody is paying attention. <laughs> we are. Or they are too busy to interrupt their lives to be involved themselves. Does anybody remember the story about the camel's foot in the tent? It, I wish that was a nose, but anyway, you know, their camel, their foot, right? It hasn't been used in years. Oh, yeah. It starts with the foot, but eventually the whole camel goes into the tent, and, well, there's not much room for left for anything else with a camel in a tent. <laughs> the fact is that this is a war for the soul and life of our nation, and wars require sacrifices and disruptions of our normal lives to do whatever we can to regain and preserve our freedoms. Those who want to change our country in these ways will tell you that you've got the, the original story wrong or that our country has been wrong all along. Yeah, I've heard that before. Most people are probably not prepared to answer those views, but we need to get prepared. And part of the sacrifice, uh, and then we need, oh, and that's part of the sacrifice, and then we need to get involved. The first way to get involved is, is to talk about these things in conversations and then to the media and the government and certainly to become active in every election and to know where the candidates stand on the principles that define them and not just the positions they publicly run on. Of course, I would add to that Action Radio. You need to be involved uh, in Action Radio. <laughs> you need to be involved in, in something that, uh, you know, that works beyond you, know, you that, that will help out. You need to just not just worry about elections. You need to do stuff the rest of the time. That's what we're doing here. I'm going to play you another quick thing as I take a, a very fast break uh, and then get in the next article. But I like to separate these things so you can actually you know, make a little distinction in your mind. Action Radio. Part of the ADHD Radio Network. The ultimate free speech zone. We the people give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed and have the power through juries to nullify the laws by which we do not consent to be governed. At Action Radio, we don't report the news. We are the news. Every other show reports what has happened. We talk about what can happen. From the questions no one has thought to ask to the answers no one has thought to consider the actions no one has dared to take. That is Action Radio. Okay, I think I'll be uh, better prepared tomorrow. <laughs> In fact, I just realized I pulled up the wrong uh, thing for this morning. So let me, uh, let me, we are really disorganized today. This is embarrassing. All right, so I move this, move this. I have, uh, I wonder if I actually made one or not. I thought I uh, made a show prep for it. Well, I guess not. Okay, I'll fix that after the show. <laughs> I know how to do this now, so uh, I can do that. All right. So let me get to the other, other article. So again, what I gave you was the Christian, was the natural rights view, uh, the God-given rights view of how our country works. I believe that's the correct view. I believe that with all my heart, that we are a nation. Um, 
that people have uh, natural rights, you know, and, and of course people around the world have natural rights, but they're different, you know, in terms of their own government. But the natural rights are the things we're all born with, right to self-preservation, right to prosper, create a family, you know, engage in commerce, you know, accumulate property, uh, due process and law, things like that. So these are our natural rights. This is what makes us free, okay? And so uh, the God-given rights are the fact that natural rights come from God as opposed to just nature, <laughs> okay? So we advance them and say God-given rights. In other words, as we, uh, you know, a belief in God and a belief in uh, whether it's Christianity, Judaism, uh, Islam, you know, Buddhism, which they say is a philosophy, but, you know, uh, Hindu, whatever, whatever religion you believe in, uh, you know, if you have a, a God, you have a higher power than you. And so the rights come from your higher power, not from government. And that's the fundamental difference. And that religion allows you to have a moral code and that moral code can be used to control government and control the laws that government uh, promotes, promulgates and tries to enforce on you. So what that article says, just to kind of cut it short a little bit, it says that if you take God out, if you take religion out, if you live in a secular society, there is no moral code or restriction on government. They can do whatever they want. They can divide people up. They can put people in separate groups. They can divide up by race, by, by sexual orientation. They can divide up by uh, age and nationality and ethnic group and anything they want. Okay? They can do group rights, which, of course, don't exist, but they, they say they do. And they can give special rights to special groups to keep us in constant conflict. And that's why a secular government uh, is completely is, is the most dangerous form. And using that secular government to define rights simply doesn't work because it doesn't have rights. It has you know, government powers, which they you know, use to control people. All right. So this next article is from uh, I'm not sure where this is from. Looks like it says KPIJ or KP or key, no, key differences. That's the website. Boy, that's bad writing. Key differences. And then it says, uh, maybe I'll find the, the website down here somewhere else. But uh, this article says difference between fundamental rights and human rights. Okay. This is the other end of the spectrum. Okay. So these are the ones that come from government. So the first one, the first set of rights come from nature and God, natural rights and, and God-given rights. The second group is between is called fundamental rights and human rights. Okay. This is the other. These are the ones that, that people think come from government, which those that believe that think this is the only source of rights, which is kind of fascinating. September 15, 2017 by Serbis, that would be S-U-R-B-H-I-S, who says, in general, rights refer to the moral or legal entitlement over something. Listen to that. In general, rights refers to the moral or legal entitlement over something. As per law, rights are considered as the reasonable claim of the individuals which are accepted by the society and approved by statute. That means your rights are subject to a democracy and majority vote, right? See how different this is? But this is what the current government believes. It says it can, be funda- uh, it can be fundamental rights or human rights. The rights which are fundamental to the life of the citizens of a country are known as fundamental rights. Listen to that. The rights which are fundamental to the life of the citizens of a country. This is, this is group, right? Not the individuals, but the citizens are known as fundamental rights. It says, on the other hand, human rights imply the rights that belong to all the human beings, irrespective of their nationality, race, caste, creed, gender, etc., etc. Okay? The main difference between fundamental rights and human rights is that the fundamental rights are specific to a particular country, whereas human rights has worldwide acceptance. <laughs> okay. Take, uh, take a read of this article to get some more differences on these two. All right. So let's do it. Let's compare. So that has this chart. This chart's really interesting. And you've got meaning, uh, so, so the meaning, fundamental rights. Fundamental rights meets the primary rights of the citizens, which are justifiable and written in the Constitution. <laughs> Listen to that. Fundamental rights. Okay, this is, when, some, when, a, when a politician says fundamental rights, they're saying fundamental rights means the primary rights of the citizens, which are justifiable and written in the Constitution. 
justifiable. In other words, you have to justify your rights. They're not automatic. They're not God-given, all right? Human rights. This, is, this one's even better. Human rights are the basic rights that all the human beings can enjoy no matter where they live, what they do, and how they behave. It's <laughs> and how they behave, right? So human rights, so you, whatever you want, no matter what you do, how you behave, you know, you get human rights, all right? And this, uh, then this is includes. What does it include? Fundamental rights include basic rights only. Human rights, basic and absolute rights. Like there's a difference? Folks, all rights are absolute. Otherwise, they're not rights. And they apply absolutely and apply equally to everybody, or they're also not rights. Not according to this, you know, basic and absolute rights. Okay, and then the scope. Uh, fundamental rights are country-specific. Human rights are universal. Um, fundamental rights are a right of freedom. Human rights, right of life with dignity. Well, who determines what dignity is? And how much is that going to cost? This is why I brought that up earlier, right? Guarantee. Fundamental rights are constitutionally guaranteed. See, that's not true either. They're, they're guaranteed by God and, you know, natural rights and things like that under, under the system that I believe in. Okay. Uh, the Constitution prevents government from touching them. But here, the Constitution guarantees your rights. You see the difference? It's an exact opposite. Then it says human rights are internationally guaranteed. Well, that's so much for the supremacy of the Constitution, the supreme law of the land, if international bodies can have control over us, right? Then it says enforcement. Uh, fundamental rights are enforceable by the court of law. Okay. Human rights, enforceable by the United Nations. <laughs> Please. Fundamental rights originated from the views of a democratic society. Okay? So a republic is tossed out the window. So anybody that says fundamental rights does not believe in a republic, which means they're you know, unconstitutional because we are a republic, right? Guaranteed by Article 4, Section 4. So, that's so, so, dem, so if you view fundamental rights as part of a democracy, then the majority of people have to vote for those rights, which means the majority of people can vote against those rights and take them away. So much for the concept of rights. Then the human rights originated from the ideas of civilized nations. What the hell does that mean? Originated from the ideas of civilized nations? What do they consider civilized? They consider, the UN considers the United States uncivilized because we're allowed, we're not, I shouldn't say we're allowed to own guns. We have a God-given right to protect ourselves with guns. Okay, that's a fundamental right. I wouldn't say, oop, I goofed again. It's a natural right and a God-given right of self-preservation. And I would argue that you cannot have a right of self-preservation if you cannot acquire the implements of your self-preservation. In other words, guns, okay? But these people say originated from the ideas of civilized nations. Well, you, how do they define civilized? Open borders, you know? I mean, uh, wealth transfer gets really complicated. So then it says definition of fundamental rights. Fundamental rights, as the name suggests, are the basic rights of the citizens of a country that are approved by the Supreme Court and recognized by the society. See, it's group. This whole thing is based on group rights. This is what makes this thing so horrible. And so anytime someone says fundamental rights, they're talking group rights. They're not talking individual rights. You need to know that. This is why I'm doing this whole thing today. All right. Okay. All right. Here we go. These are enshrined in the Constitution, and they are enforceable in a court of law in the sense that <laughs> here comes the qualification in the sense that if there is any kind of violation of the right, the individual can go to the court for the protection of his, her right. That is way they are known as, oh, that is why it should be why this is misprints all over both these articles. That is why they are known as fundamental rights. So a fundamental right is a right that's in the constitution that's enforceable in a court of law. Unless of course the court doesn't interpret it that way. This is why interpretations are so bad unless it's, not enshrined in the Constitution. By the way, that would defy Roe v. Wade and the right to abortion, which is not enshrined in the Constitution. Okay? So therefore, it's not enforceable in a court of law. I just thought I'd throw that little tidbit out there. Article says, fundamental rights applies to all the people equally, regardless of their caste, 
religion, gender, race, origin, etc. To it ensure, it ensure, sure, the more misprints, it ensures civil liberty so that all the citizens of a country can lead their life in the way they want. Wait a minute. Is that what individual rights do? So what is civil liberty? Again, that's a group right. See, this always comes back to group rights. This is why this is so fascinating. All right? The list of fundamental rights in India are given below. So I guess this is written for, is this an Indian thing? I guess it was from the, the yeah. okay. So this is how they talk about it, individual rights in India. It's not necessarily us. See, I, didn't, I missed that part when I first went through this. Well, this is, now, now it makes it even more interesting. All right? Key differences between fundamental rights. Now, India is a Western democracy, right? So this is actually a very similar view to our, quote, those that believe in a Western democracy here. And the, I thought it was so similar, I didn't even realize this was from India until I, started, until I read that one little section. Well, let's keep going. This is interesting. Key differences between fundamental rights and human rights. Points given below explain the difference between fundamental rights and human rights. One, the elemental rights of the citizens of a country, which are mentioned in the Constitution and enforceable under the law, is known as fundamental rights. On the other extreme, human rights, on the other extreme, human rights are the rights that a human being needs to survive with respect and freedom. Needs to survive? Oh, that's interesting. Uh, fundamental rights include, how do you, have you, you don't have a right to be respected. That's not a right. Please. <laughs> you know, you've got to earn respect. It's not a right. Number two, fundamental rights include only those rights which are basic to a normal life. Basic? Oh, okay. So, so, so if I want to write to free speech and write very complex language, or if I want to, to acquire a huge amount of firearms, or if I want to uh, you know, get a massive amount of property, that's not, uh, and they say, well, that's not basic to a normal life. <laughs> By whose opinion? So in other words, there's no freedom in India. That's what it sounds like. This is, on the contrary, human rights include those rights which are basic to our real life and are absolute. In other words, it cannot be taken away. Oh, human rights cannot be taken away. Oh, this is where it gets interesting. While fundamental rights are country-specific, that is, rights may vary from country to country, human rights have a global acceptance, meaning that all human beings enjoy these rights. I think I read this earlier. Okay, conclusion. Oh, I'm actually going to get this done before Jonathan gets here. Fundamental rights and human rights are vital for the existence and development of the individuals. It helps to create a better environment and better living conditions for people, as well as they preserve their dignity. Okay, so this is fascinating. So, so I actually accomplished what I want to accomplish. I got through two articles in an hour. All right, like I'm right on time. So just wait for. Uh, I'll play a couple things until Jonathan gets here. But does 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 that clear it up, or does it make it more confusing? Let me check uh, check live chat here and see if uh, oh, nobody's on live chat and Jonathan's there too. So now that Jonathan's here, let me ask him the same question. I don't, I don't know if he. Uh, um, let's make his, okay, there we go. Now he's live. Jonathan, I don't know if you had a chance to hear my discussion on, on fundamental uh, and human rights versus God-given and natural rights. Um, but did my discussion, if you heard it, did it make it more confusing or did it straighten it out? Because I think in many ways I might have even made it more confusing by including too many details. Good morning. Good morning. No, I didn't hear it, but um, um, I'm not sure there's a difference except to the extent that a government government and the courts recognize it. I, I mean, the way you describe it there, fundamental rights are, are referred to in the uh, constitutional, you know, or the, shall we, let's say, shall we call it the judge's constitution? The so government version of rights. the constitution that only yeah. exists yeah. in the judge's mind. Um, the... Hmm. Um, a fundamental right is is not fundamental. It's a uh, it's a fundamental right is what the courts are willing to acknowledge, as opposed to the idea of natural 
or human rights, you know, exist whether they're acknowledged or not would be the only distinction that I can see. Um, well, it got confusing and, uh, as I was going through both articles. I mean, when you read them, it's one thing, but then when you actually read them out loud and you go, wait a minute, <laughs> you know, it, it hits your brain differently. Pianki's on the line. Maybe he heard something uh-huh. too. You know, see if it was, see, I'm going to make it Pianki's take, and we can go on to your topics, um, which, which are, are going to be many and fascinating. Pianki, did you get a chance to hear my discussion? Are you more confused or less confused as if, uh, with God-given rights, natural rights, no, no, fundamental yeah. rights, and, and, and uh, human rights? Good morning, Pianki. Good morning, Jonathan. No, we have uh, – that's the question that Jackson answered and said that the right to bear a home is a fundamental right. Remember? Yeah, but but, but here's uh, now this is why I found it. I don't remember now that you say it. Yeah. Yeah. So we have to get get ready for it because what they're trying to do is take God out of the picture. Mm-hmm. The Constitution guarantees us our universal rights, God-given rights, not no fundamental rights, because fundamental rights can be taken away. Yeah, is, uh, let me give Jonathan and everybody else once again the, the Cliff Notes version of what I was talking about and why I found this so fascinating because these terms kept coming up and I'm like, I'm like, wait a minute, do they all mean the same thing? Are they interchangeable? And especially when I worked with uh, Jen Clark in Australia on, on the individual, uh, the Bill of the Australian Rights, uh, the Australian Bill of Individual Rights. There we go. So we had to define individual rights versus human rights. Human rights, let's go to the top of the scale. That's what the UN likes to declare for everybody. So everybody has the same rights. So in other words, a, a citizen of Thailand can walk in here and have exactly the same rights as you do to your property and everything else. That's what they think of. Uh, so the UN uh, enforces human rights, and their, their, their standard is dignity. That's how they define human rights. Okay? What does it take to maintain dignity? What? Equal income, equal everything else. So human rights don't apply. Um, not that humans don't have rights, but what I'm saying is the UN definition of human rights is not applicable to the United States because it's group and not individual. The second category is fundamental rights. Fundamental rights, these, these article, that second article said, uh, are the rights that the government determines, that, they, that are, quote, enshrined in the Constitution and enforced by the courts. Okay, so in other words, these are government rights put into the Constitution, uh, whereas the, the, our Constitution reads differently. Our Constitution says that the government cannot touch these rights because they're not fundamental government rights. They are rights given by God, and they are natural rights. And I'm still working on different definitions. That was the second article. The first article talked about God-given rights and natural rights. Natural rights are, are what nat- would naturally, you know, um, accrue to humans upon creation, you know, uh, to people. And that uh, God-given rights separates the rights from government. So that God-given rights, God's supreme to government, you know, and so therefore God-given rights are supreme to anything the government could ever do. And they can't be taken away because the government didn't create them in the first place. So this is, I'm sort of getting a little carried away here. But what that article said that was so fascinating is that, there's nothing in our Constitution that uh, precludes religion from having an influence on government. It only says that the government cannot create its own religion and separate you know, us from our religion and make us take the government religion, which would then take away all our rights. And so that without religion, when the government has no religion, when they're purely secular, they're free to make up anything they want because there's no moral code on them. There's no restrictions on them. There's, there's no influence. There's no anything that people can bring to it. And so that's when you get all these special rights and weird groups and you know, special privileges and yeah. everything else. And they make us comply with and They make us adjust our lives to their definition of rights. That's kind of what I said. And that's a little bit longer than I wanted to be. Well, you want to stay away from those human rights. We have a U.S. Constitution. And we know what it does. If you ever read the Human Rights Declaration, it gets into a part where a kid don't have to listen to their parents. 
Oh, I did read so it. So we see that kind of, you see what's going on now, right? Huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, we That's wrote the Australian global. Bill of Rights. The Australian Bill of Rights is pretty much contrary to the UN Declaration because individual rights are, are completely contrary to the UN's definition of human rights. Human rights are their their document is oppressive, and it's a charter. They call it a charter, which means it's like a like a corporate charter. So the, so the government controls all the rights because it's a charter. The, the government allows you to exercise certain rights. Well, that's the whole that that's against the whole definition of rights. Anyway, it's it's a it's a confusing topic. I might have to study more and revisit it. But uh, I was curious to try it this morning and, and start my discussion. First time I've covered this. Well, part of the problem is that language is is a very imprecise, imperfect um, mechanism. You learn that hmm. a lot when you write law, you know, for, you know, for the, the ability of the left to twist words and to try to make them say something they don't say. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> like you say, is it, is it the, the left uses the word fundamental to meaning like, how dare you question us? Um, they, don't, they don't mean where did they come from. Yeah. So, so words are, you know, are very um, malleable, and <clears throat> and language is very imperfect. So, yeah, because fundamental be, means you know, government rights. Yeah, fundamental means government rights. It does not mean rights that are basic to you, you know, that you're born with, and and, and that's why they use words that mean one thing, and that they can use in in legal terms, but act, but people think they mean something else, so they're confused by it. So you think fundamental rights? Yeah, we have fundamental rights. No, you don't. You know, fundamental rights are government rights. You have God-given rights and natural rights, and that's a big difference. And that's why I tried to, to cover that in the first hour. But like I say, I think I might have caused more confusion um, than anything else. So it's, it's going to be a, an extended topic. Anyway, we can talk about this it's, if you want or, or, or move on. Jonathan, I'll leave it to you. Jonathan? One thing, but, uh, as we warm up, my coffee kicks in or whatever. Is it, you know, did you cause confusion or, or did you make people think? Um, oh, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I try to make people think. I hope that's that's that would be the best outcome of, of this. But I was confused. <laughs> the more I talked about it, the more confused I got is to try and find that really sharp line, especially between God given rights and natural rights. I mean, how do how do you how do you define those? Well, I, I like like I say, fundamental fundamental rights implies it's the highest form of rights. Um, but they're still they're still claiming you know but but if you don't have if they don't if there isn't anything bigger than them then how can the, how can the fundamental rights be authoritative and unchanging the fundamental rights have to be rooted in something that is above I mean I mean no human being is above another human being we believe. But if there's no truth or rights that, abo- that is above all human beings, then there really are no rights. Well, they say well, fundamental, fundamental is what the, 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 right. Uh, go ahead, Bianchi. The, the, uh, the, the right of the, the creators is all-inclusive. I mean, that's it. You can't challenge it. It's there. Nobody will go in and challenge the Ten Commandments. But when you start using words like fundamental, like she used, and then when you start looking at it, and also like the uh, Declaration of Human Rights, and get to reading it, like I said before, where it gives mm-hmm. children a right to not pay attention to their parents, 
then you look at what's going on in society today with Joe Biden deputizing teachers to make the decision over a child's uh, sexual identity over the parent. Mm-hmm. Then you start to see what's going on. The child said, I'm a girl, and, and the first thing in the morning at 12 noon, I'm a boy. Now you can see where all this stuff is coming from and what they're going to try to do. And they'll say that's a fundamental right that's created by government. So I always think of fundamental rights now. As, this is how I separate it. Natural rights and God-given rights are, are our supreme rights. Those are the ones that we have as, as, as American citizens, as human beings, you know, um, and things different between different countries. I want, that, that's a whole other discussion. But I think of fundamental rights and human rights as, as government-given. So you've got God-given and natural rights on one side. You've got fundamental and human rights, which are government-given. And that's a distinction I make. Now, the distinction between fundamental and, and human rights, I'm going to go over the UN Declaration of Human Rights tomorrow. I think I'll make the show on that. Um, a, the a, Muslim of, child, uh-huh. a Muslim child born, a male child, is, is, a, is a Muslim. He's, he's what his father is. Mm-hmm. So that's where that rights come from. He. Obama was born a Muslim. In their society, you are what your father are is. <laughs> then you got Jewish that say you are what your mother is. So that's where we get to the differences. But you cannot challenge this. You can't. You can't challenge God. Well, unless you disavow the religion and say, "I don't accept this. I'm going to. I want to try another religion." You know, I, I want to adopt this, and people convert. It know, doesn't have to be religion. Reli- okay. God is, it really does not have to be religion. Hmm. Religion is the deification of an ethnic group's culture. That's not God. God existed before all of that. Yeah, so man created. Amen. He's all in this unseen and so on and all that. Okay. Well, what about, let me get to Jonathan, about the idea that, um, that once you re- remove um, God and Scripture and, and re- you know, we'll think of religion as man-made and, and Scripture as, as, as God-created and us as God-created, um, once government takes that out by this whole separation of church and state nonsense, they really are, there's no restrictions on them except what they put on themselves unless the voters do it. But the, the really, I think that that article, the first one, really makes a really good point that without a moral control on government of scripture, religion, and God, that they don't care. They can create a situation where they can say to kids, kids have a fundamental right to determine their gender at six, you know, and parents can't do anything about it because we have to respect the rights of the individual. It's a fundamental right. And that's of course, a bunch of nonsense. Does that make sense, Jonathan? And what... what Right. What That's persuasive what forces are on government? Because, hmm? you know, we, 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 we mean things in words by the way they're, they're used. We don't actually mean them by any precise definition. <clears throat> you know, for example, okay. 100 years ago, gay meant happy and joy and, you know, yeah, and celebrating in the, um, in the uh, easy, what do they call it, the um, talk, speak easy, joints and things like that because we we didn't die in World War One, and today it has a completely different meaning. But yep. um, so, so well regulated. I mean, if you want to if you want to be <laughs> nitpicky with the language, look at what it says um, about a declaration of human rights. Well, technically, human rights don't need to be declared. You know, the, the, if 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 the UN That's is declaring 
human rights, it means the, the UN is the authority. And well, so, that's, that's what know, they a lot say, of people, though, too. Yeah, they actually say that. And so the, um, um, I mean, it's interesting that our Declaration of Independence uh, talks about acknowledge, you know, well, it doesn't use words, but in effect, it acknowledges that God has created rights. The, the, the dec- our government doesn't create them. Um, but, uh, you know, because so a lot of people, when you say that they take God out of the equation, in my, in my observation, they 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 interpret all this talk about God as just being a, a phony to begin with. Mm-hmm. So they don't think they're taking they don't think they're taking God out of the equation. They just think that all this talk about God is wink wink. You know, we're just saying this, but nobody really means it. So what is um, the what what yeah. what for what uh, persuasive or or moral force do they find on on, on government, if not God and religion? Well, they 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 don't. They think it's they think it's. Um, you know, all all political power comes in the the, the um, muzzle of a gun. They, which is what they, that article you know, they, was saying. They, yeah, that's those, communist. Those who don't believe there is a god, right? Um, and even a deist god or some kind of god that don't mm-hmm. believe there is a god who created us, um, they think that all this talk is just phony. Mm. That you know, every, everything that we think and what we're saying is just a fiction that we all know to be a fiction and society engages in this fiction mm-hmm. and, um, and, you know, they're just playing along with the fiction. Um, so, uh, so to them, you know, we're, we're, the, to them, uh, society, you know, patriarchal society, tradition bound and everything like that is just making up its own rules and pretending that they come from a higher power. That makes sense. Yeah, because the article also talked about the the democratic idea that uh, you know the, the fundamental rights are the rights that society determines are necessary for a normal life, or things like that. These general statements that uh, these rights are up for, uh, for debate by the by the general public, and if a majority doesn't want them, then you don't have them. You know that that's not fundamental. That's that's you know government coerced and and, and regulated. So they're sort of going against their own definition, but they they use fundamentally differently than we use fundamental. Anyway, let's, uh, I want to get into some of the other stuff that we mentioned. We haven't done January 6th. We've got some trials. We've got uh, a bunch of FBI stuff that's horrible. They look absolutely, you know, they look like the KGB right now. So let's, let's, skip, let's, let's move some things. Jonathan, any, any of those trials, uh, January 6th trials or January 6th information that we haven't covered that we should be covering? Oh, my God, I could go on for so long. Yeah, I, um, okay. you know, I'm no Feel longer free. in it, but I've been watching it pretty closely. Uh-huh. And... Uh, <clears throat> um, Although my role as a media, I'm still, you know, they're still after me and making me a center of attention. You'll remember that the January 6th defendants mm-hmm. um, were accused of obstructing a, uh, a, a, an official proceeding, meaning that uh, the U.S. Capitol Police recessed or leaned over to the presiding officer and told them to recess mm-hmm. at 2.18 p.m., according to the congressional record of the house meaning that it did of course it didn't take zero time for the threat assessment and the decision in front of everyone everyone watching to decide to take that drastic step they must have been working on that for probably since 2 p.m possibly for an hour 
mm-hmm. and 20 minutes before they went over there and decided to disrupt everything by telling the, the thing. So the Oath Keepers, according to the grand jury, got to the Capitol at around 2.26 p.m. and then used their time machine to go back in time and disrupt <laughs> the, uh, the joint session of Congress before they got there. Mm. So, you know, I, I don't know, I don't know why the, uh, the Oath Keepers haven't been charged with illegal use of a time machine. But, um, <laughs> so this is, this and, is and very this is Mason most of the January 6th defendants. Yeah, this is, is perfect they obstructed an official proceeding before they right. r- arrived. Yeah, um, and that's brilliant. And then they accused them of a conspiracy to um, to obstruct an official proceeding, which is when the prosecutors know they have no case mm-hmm. and their obligation is clearly to drop the case, they mm-hmm. use a conspiracy to try to, you know, um, oh, I don't know, what's the... Uh, uh, well, I don't know. Can't think of the example of um, use, taking a bunch of, of used leftovers and you know and, and trying to squ- you know mix them all together into something that looks like a meal. Sausage, um, that's a conspiracy in federal <laughs> prosecution. <Stew. laughs> yeah, and, but it's uh, but that is a conspiracy itself. It, it is a conspiracy to create a false conspiracy, which would be an entrapment conspiracy or something like that. They're right. actually out, out of and nothing. Remember, trying to make Sidney a, Powell came to our attention na- nationally. Uh-huh. With right. her book, licensed to lie, mm-hmm. you know she exposed the fact that the, that the courts have said it's okay for the FBI to lie. Now think on that, especially with what we're seeing. And like, how could it be that the FBI could possibly be so arrogant and lawless? Mm-hmm. Gee, I wonder if decades of being told that they're allowed to lie um, might have some <laughs> something to do with that. Um, but the courts have explicitly said that the police and the FBI are allowed to lie to you. You're not allowed to lie to them, but they can lie to you. You know, what they can say, we, you know, we have a we have video camera the... of you. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, as I've always wondered, it's sort of bothered me, but I haven't really, you know, followed it through. What, what is the basis? Where did that come from? And what are the, do, you, if, do you know any of, the, of those court cases of why it was established <laughs> and why it was somehow thought to be beneficial that the FBI and the police could lie to people? Well, this, it, I mean, it's basically this extreme deference, um, you know, okay. when – and you know, here's the thing. The court has a role to play. Mm-hmm. And when it would actually do, make, do some good, they, 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 well, that's, they wouldn't want to do that. They have a role to play when it doesn't matter and it doesn't help anybody and it doesn't actually do any good. So if they're afraid that, you know, they might make it too hard for the police or the government to do its job. But anyway, that's, that's yeah. hard to well, explain. So the idea... The idea of letting them lie is that, well, you know, it's not for us to say. And, you know, if they think that that's necessary to get, um, to get, <clears throat> you know, to, to get their man, you know, you know, we're not going to say anything about it. Um, so, uh, you know, because there's, you know, so maybe, maybe they have to lie. I mean, because I think what they're, you know, I guess they're saying is like if they lie, People might admit to things, um, but nobody would admit to something if, they, if they're not guilty, which, of course, isn't true. If you're facing right. gigantic legal bills and mm-hmm. a big fight and a big thing, 
and, and they tell you, look, we have a video of you robbing the bank, and in fact, they don't. Um, you know, a lot of people might say, you know, I can't fight this. I, I, I can't, I have no way to fight this. So I'm just even if they haven't robbed the bank, even if they know no such right. video exists because they haven't done it. it well, it's like the January 6th people. They're, they're copying pleas to, uh, I guess that's the right term, to things that they know they didn't do simply because the FBI says, well, if you don't, you know, take a plea on this misdemeanor, we're going to charge you with a uh, conspiracy to overthrow the government and give you 20 years or whatever it is. So in other words, the threat, right. so Stuart, which is an Stuart illegal Rose. threat. Yeah tried to change his attorneys and it, 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 it became a total mess because the judge wouldn't let him change attorneys. How so he ended that? up with a new attorney right. and the two bad old bad ones and <laughs> it's just a bigger mess than ever. <clears throat> but um, the uh, um, the uh, <clears throat> what was I going to say? So 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 uh, <clears throat> I, I lost track of what I was going to say. So they they were he he was supposed the new attorney was supposed to do what Stuart Rhodes brilliantly wanted done, which mm-hmm. is to get a copy of their private emails, non privileged and text messages, talking mm-hmm. to family and friends, in which those who pled guilty almost assuredly said, Look, I'm not guilty, but I'm just doing this because I have to get out of this. Mm-hmm. And the ju- judge, of course, denied it. Wouldn't let them uh uh, you know, the judge will, the judge will, you know, allow, will sign a search warrant, you know, to get your, to get your, the size of your underwear, but <laughs> pled guilty admitting to others that they are not guilty, even though they pled guilty. Now nah, we would, that's too intrusive. We want to do that. Um, so anyway, the, um, the government there with changed this whole thing to a seditious conspiracy which is a poorly fitting um, legal charge, but it has the virtue of being unconnected to the physical capital or events at the capital. So now they can charge every, everybody mm-hmm. uh, with uh, seditious conspiracy. So but it's wait a, minute, a wait, poorly wait. fitting claim. Sedition isn't a huh? crime anymore. Sedition isn't a crime anymore. That's like a, the Alien Sedition Act. That goes back to the 1700s. We don't have that anymore, do we? Do we have sedition acts? Well, nobody told nobody told Merrick Garland. Um, <laughs> but, but I agree because there's a, I mean, there is a case, mm-hmm. David Brian Stone, um, out of the Midwest, <clears throat> Michigan, I believe, where and they, they there was this group they called themselves the Hutari tribe, which is not actually, as far as I can tell, any Native American tribe, or it's just not a thing. It's just something. You know, it's something they called each other, like um, like the Hakawi. In other words, where the Hakawi? <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I guess it's not. It's not a. It's yeah. not a slam on Native Americans. It's a made-up, like club mm-hmm. name of these crazy people, and mm-hmm. they <clears throat> they said horrible things, mm-hmm. and you know, way more horrible things. They talked about what they wanted to do and what they were going to do and their plans and everything like that, mm-hmm. but the judge dismissed it, saying. Um, that it's all talk. So he, the, the, this, this judge out there said, um, if it's all talk, it can't be a seditious conspiracy. And that's what we got here. Is unfortunately the, the oath keepers, the oath keepers, the trial of the oath keepers is going badly for the prosecution. But they they are bringing out a lot of horrible locker room talk and trash talk, 
that that the oath keepers shared with each other and um that's not that's that looks ugly but again it's not a seditious conspiracy just to to exercise your first amendment rights to say things that are ugly and horrible and you know Ill, ill-advised and you know in poor taste is just first amendment your first amendment rights yeah sedition it's not a it's not a seditious conspiracy to say stupid things isn't sedition just criticizing yeah, isn't sedition just criticizing the government or saying no, the government's wrong seditious conspiracy is to is to organize to oppose by force the execution of any law or the, the conduct of an official. Oh, okay. And of course, this was challenged again. Judge Maida, who never, never saw a, a lie by a prosecutor that he didn't love, um, he admitted <laughs> that on January 6th, there's no transfer of presidential power. Now he said that didn't matter because that's not actually what the law is. The, the government, the, the federal, the prosecutors are charging. The January 6th defendants, and, the, and they'll extend it to Trump, because that's the whole point of moving from a um, a relatively good fit of um, conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding through the illegal use of time machines, um, and um, to a poorly fitting example of seditious conspiracy is it allows them to indict Trump and everybody else, even if they weren't at the Capitol. So So, um, this is, you know, in our future here. And um, so they, you know, but they, but the way they've alleged it is they allege that these people um, tried by force to stop the transfer of presidential power. Now, what happens on January 6th? There is no presidential power transferred on January 6th every four years. Yeah, we haven't really and talked about that, but that's, uh, that's a fascinating vote. point. You know, that, that's incredibly important. In which, uh, <clears throat> right, in which everybody takes photographs and, and Mike Pence is just a helpless bystander. Um, now, even if, even if we don't take that role and just say it's ceremonial, still – no presidential power is transferred <clears throat> on January 6th. They right. just count the votes after disputes. And uh, uh, that's Article 12. Under Article 20 of the U.S. Constitution, um, when, when the clock strikes noon at local time in Washington, D.C., the term of the president ends. That's January 20th, um, though. And January 20th, you're talking, right? Right. What? You said January 20th, not January, January 6th. It doesn't end. It ends January 20th. Right. So, okay. um, <clears throat> so on January 20th, it's, um, um, presidential power is transferred on January 20th, uh, but, it's, but there's no action. It's self-executed. It happens automatically by operation of law. So there's no... There's nothing for uh, seditious conspirators to oppose by force. The only way they could, the only way they could stop the transfer of presidential power on January 20th at noon is to stop the Earth from rotating, <laughs> which maybe with their time machine they could do that. Um, 
And, you know, what I've said in a forthcoming, I hope forthcoming article, World Net Daily, is, is that, you know, they, they could no more, they could no more oppose the transfer of presidential power at noon on, on January 20th than they could sell our moon to, you know, a space star empire in another galaxy. Um, well, it can't be done. Well, the problem I've always had with January 6th is that they, they say this is an insurrection to overthrow the government. Well, how exactly are you going to do that when Congress is just meeting to ratify the votes of the states and their electors? What's to overthrow? But, well, they can't. Now, the, the government will say look, yeah. any, any ridiculous idea you can think of, there's a precedent for it. Oh, okay. You know, if you want, if, if you want to say that, you know, monkeys can uh, – well, I don't know, that, that – uh, you know, that people can fly. You can, I mean, you know, any outrageous thing. So there are precedents saying that the impossibility of a conspiracy is not a defense. But, <laughs> but the thing is, which is absurd, the thing is, is that that assumes that you have proof of a conspiracy. If you had a document saying, you know, here's, you know, conspiracy at the top. And mm-hmm. saying, you know, here's our conspiracy, and they all signed it. Well, then, yes, you could maybe say that the fact that it was stupid, you know, because to me, the impossibility of a conspiracy is not a defense. If you say, like, well, well, let's conspire to rob a bank, and we'll need 12 people, but we're only going to do it with five. Well, that's not a defense. But, <clears throat> you know, but if you, if you got together and you made a conspiracy that you're going to rob the bank, by telekinesis, by psychic powers, then I think it is a defense. Yeah. But what well, happens about, here is, hmm, oh, go ahead. Well, let me finish. There's no, yeah. there is no evidence that there ever was a conspiracy. And hmm. in that context, if you say, well, it would have been impossible to conspire um, to obstruct, you know, the, to, 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 to use force to prevent the transfer of presidential power. In the absence of any proof that there ever was a conspiracy, you mm-hmm. have to say, well, there never was a conspiracy. It's not like you're saying, because this is what's wrong with the corrupt prosecutors, Jeff Nessler, you, that's you out mm-hmm. there, and, and, and Merrick Garland and everybody else. They have no evidence. They assume the guys are guilty, mm-hmm. and then they try to say, well, this is not a defense to the fact that we know they're guilty. No, there's no evidence that they're guilty to begin with. There's mm-hmm. no evidence of a conspiracy except locker room trash talk. And so when you, you know, when the supposed conspiracy would be impossible, that doesn't help you in the complete and total absence of any evidence that there ever was a conspiracy in the first place. Um, So that's where they're, what were you going to ask? Well, I'm just thinking that there was an overthrow of the government. Uh, it was done by Mike Pence and uh, Mitch McConnell and uh, Nancy Pelosi, and it was done under the Congress while the Trump selfie supporters were the distraction above. So there was. Mike Pence, as I say, is the first person on a presidential ticket to actually steal the election for the other side. You know, he took, right. he and, denied, and he, the, he denied almost, the, go ahead. Trump almost ruined the conspiracy by offering 10,000 national guardsmen. And well, he also so the conspiracy has to say no, 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 no. We don't. No, no, no. Yeah, we need those people in the Capitol building as a distraction, you know. And uh, but 
and you think about it too that now there's proof of a conspiracy that they didn't have the 10,000 security people, that they took off the signs over the restricted areas, that they had Ray Epps and other various operatives there with bullhorns uh, bringing people in, that they opened the doors, that they welcomed people into the Capitol, and they said, come on and take selfies. You know, this price is right. Come on down. This is a Capitol Hill invitational walk-in. That, to me, is proof of a conspiracy because it was organized. There was a plan. They executed the plan. But the Perry Mason moment that I was referring to earlier is the fact that Trump's speech went on for an hour. So the timing of the Arizona challenge, here's what's really interesting. I don't know if anybody's talked about this, but the timing of the Arizona challenge, when Arizona came up alphabetically as a state that had two sets of electors, that's when the Antifa and Black Lives Matter broke into Congress. And we know that it wasn't Trump supporters because they weren't there yet. They were still listening to a Trump speech. So the fact that the, 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 uh, the unintended event, the one thing that always throws off a crime is the unanticipated event. And the unanticipated event in this case was the Trump speech went an hour longer than it should have, which meant that all the Trump supporters, you included, you know, could not have been at the Capitol because you were still listening to Trump, which is a 45-minute walk away. And yet they had to interrupt the proceeding in Congress to stop the Arizona vote on and the debate on whether they had Brandon electors or Trump electors. They could not allow that debate to go forward because that would have, uh, you know, challenged their election. And very likely Trump could have won right then and there on January 6th. So the coup. So is it a defense if you use a, a false coup that they're using to prosecute these people? Is the defense the real coup, which there is proof for, which was organized, well, which they can subpoena Judge, people for? Judge Maida has right. fought against that. Brad Geyer, who represents Kenneth Harrison, has tried, you know, mightily to bring some of that, not even that much of it, into the, you know, into evidence. And the prosecutor freaks out, and Judge Maida freaks out. Um, because well, you know, they're in on the coup. To make sure that they're doesn't, the coup, it, you know, that never makes it sees the light yeah. of day. Yeah. Um, but, you know, normally what judges do, if they're honest and and uh, you know, aware of the the case surviving on appeal. Mm-hmm. It, like, like this judge out in, uh, I never knew who Daryl Brooks was, but this guy who the, the Christmas day or Christmas fair um, killer who, you, you know, drove his SUV or whatever into the crowd, and he's mm-hmm. behaving crazily, and people are saying the judge is allowing it so that nobody can, so that it can't be overturned on appeal. Normally, judges, a good judge, leans towards, um, you know, anything out. So the appeals court can't say that the guys didn't get a fair trial. The judge might sit there rolling his eyes and, you know, <laughs> cringing that this is crazy, but he still lets it in just to just yeah. to show that the trial was completely fair. Not Judge Maida, um, they, uh, who's, who's writing over this. He is huh. desperate to make sure that politically incorrect things come nowhere near his courtroom. Um, so was he picked for this? That guy was trying. So the idea of, you asked the question, does, yeah. does the existence of another conspiracy um, negate the conspiracy with which they're charged? The, prosecute, the prosecutor screams in, in horror, no. And Judge Maida says in very professional, measured, <laughs> very, very effective tones, you know, know that, that the fact that somebody else is guilty mm-hmm. doesn't exonerate the Oath Keepers. And Do of they course, have the to answer prove... that is, well, it depends. Oh, okay. 
I mean, so I don't they have to prove people a real conspiracy? Go into a CVS in right. Los Angeles and rob it. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that you know these guys over there were robbing the CVS doesn't mean that those guys over there weren't. But if you're charged with planning the coup, then the fact that you didn't plan it, somebody else planned it, mm-hmm. means that you're not guilty because you're not the one who planned it. Well, um, there's no evidence of so, a coup. Uh, if there's no evidence of a coup for the people being charged, and the defense is an actual coup, which we do have evidence for. In fact, you referenced the congressional record. There's a big fat gap in there that I think is purposeful. That is part yeah. of the coup to not document what Congress did for the seven and a half hours that they were sitting below the Capitol, where I think the arms are being twisted, the votes are being twisted, because before then, before January 6th, uh, I don't know, uh, some, I don't know, a couple of hundred you know, members of Congress and a whole bunch of members of the Senate uh, said they were going to challenge the election. They were going to challenge the, uh, the, um, the Brandon and Trump electors. They were actually going to you know, debate that. And then after the seven hours of Trump selfies, you know, and where actually Babbitt was murdered by uh, Michael J. Byrd, uh, Capitol Hill, I think it was Capitol Hill police. I don't think it was D.C. police. Anyway, um, they went back in and, and very few people rejected, but even then still some did. There's still 147 members of Congress, all Republican, of course, and 12 members of the Senate, all Republican, who still objected, who still wanted to call for states to, uh, uh, to, to, for the debate to take place. And it never happened because they didn't have uh, enough people. They didn't have a majority in either house to, to bring the debates back, even after the, uh, the seven hours of selfie taking. Right. Well, that's the coup. We'll find out a little bit about that. Uh Um, I mean, if the, the January 6th select committee has been a political action committee for Democrats all along, Uh but last, what was it? Thursday was even worse. (laughs) Um, because they had no facts whatsoever. They had nothing to say. Uh Um, they, all they wanted to do was influence the midterm elections and, and try to um, subpoena Donald Trump, um, to which Donald Trump said, sure, anytime. <laughs> um, you know, trying to sort of taking the sting out of, uh, out of their stunt. Well, they don't want <laughs> but, him to um, stand. <laughs> they don't want him anywhere the thing near is, there. That's not going to happen <laughs> before, before the midterms or before Jim Jordan takes over the committee. Um, so, um, you know, so it's, it's, it's an empty gesture and they know it. Now, if they, if they had tried to, if they had tried to, um, do that from the beginning, because nothing has changed, you know, so everyone was saying that, that it's completely a transparently phony gesture because there's nothing any different today than there was when they started in terms of them wanting to. Um, them wanting to, to subpoena Donald Trump. Yeah. So they waited until it doesn't matter and can't be done <laughs> to subpoena um, Donald Trump. Because they just but want people to know who was subpoenaed. one thing they did find yeah. out was uh-huh. that Nancy Pelosi's daughter was all set up with a, with a camera crew and there were people uh, related camera outside. So before this even, you know, before this even started, they had it all set up to document what was go, you know, Nancy Pelosi saying she wants to beat up Trump. <laughs> did, did you see the video? I mean, I know that oh, nobody yeah, wants to watch funny. this. I want to know. It is funny because these are the guys who denied. What's funny about it 
Yeah. You know, people say, oh, how could you say it's funny? Well, you know, the White House is hardened after 9-11. Mm-hmm. And so the, these members of Congress did no flipping thing for, you know, two decades, provide for security at the Capitol. And now they're suddenly like, oh, we have a problem. Yeah, that's what you were supposed to be doing for the last 20 years is taking care of, you know, the, the lack of the poor security at the Capitol. So that's what made, what I think it's funny. Hmm. I have to watch the video again. I don't remember that. I just remember her threatening, uh, you know, Trump, she's going to punch him out and all that kind of stuff. Sort of like, uh, you know, Brandon threatening to take Trump behind the, the, the gym, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But what, there's still some things missing from this, too. Who, who writes the congressional record and how do they get away with having a seven and a half hour gap while Congress is still meeting under the Capitol, despite the fact that they were considering it an emergency? And why hasn't a single gelding, gelding GOP, challenged that and tried to introduce something into the congressional record to cover that time that they were under there? I mean, that goes to the definition of what, of what, is, a, what is a meeting of Congress. Okay. So they would say that, that Congress wasn't meeting, even though you're, you're saying they clearly were. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm um, saying they're meeting because the outcomes changed. Because people, I'll tell you, Kelly Leffler in particular, I remember her saying she was going to challenge the vote and she was going to get up there and question those Brandon electors and Trump electors, and she wanted to debate. And then immediately when she came back after seven and a half hours, oh, I'm so sorry, this is horrible. This is a terrible day for our nation. We need peace. We need calm. We need to restore things. I vote for Brandon. Totally changed the vote. Now, that to me is the definition that they had a meeting. You know, someone, someone chronicled, and they were reading it on C-SPAN, something like 50 or, I don't know, 60 violent episodes at the Capitol, um, including bombings, and, and they killed five members of Congress with a bomb and, <laughs> and, and all these kinds of things. Really? None of which is good. Lying isn't that great either. So saying that, oh, this either. is the most terrible thing. Huh? None of that happened. Right, but but to say that this is so horrible and this is the worst thing ever when it's you just lying to us about it. Yeah. You know, I'm not saying that I want anything worse to happen than January 6th, but I'm not thrilled about being having you know them lie to our faces. Um, so, uh, you know, frankly, frankly, in some senses, what happened on in September 2018 is worse than what happened on January 6, 2021, when the anti-Kavanaugh people took over the Senate Hart office building, the Hart Senate mm-hmm. office building, yep. and terrorized people, including Ron Wilcox, who was there, the hmm. head of the Northern Virginia Tea Party. And I'm trying to get him to take the time to write that up. Yeah. Uh, but... Anyway, well, I'm so, so uh, um, I'm you know, but there's still nothing in the congressional record, and no one's challenged it, and no one's said anything about it. That to me is the coup. The fact that they went in saying one thing and they came out saying something totally different. That means a change took place during that time. That to me constitutes a meeting. That to me constitutes a change in action. You're saying the fact that it's in legal terms, the fact that the the evidence is being withheld from us mm-hmm. is um, evidence of of. Uh, the conspiracy evidence of a consciousness of guilt mm-hmm. to try to cover it up and, put, yep. and keep it from us. Um, those would be the, you know, uh, indicia or shall we say the earmarks to talk about the Russia experts mm-hmm. of, um, of a, of a coup. 
um, of a conspiracy. But anyway, well, January 6 was never January finished. Six, That's the coup so, too. They never finished January 6. They never did the challenges. I mean, I guess they voted out them, but they never actually took them. They never announced the states, or did they? I'm not sure. Maybe they did take a vote. But um, when they came back, well, I guess they did do that. I may have got my facts wrong on that one. But they didn't do January 6 properly <laughs> because they interrupted with the distraction. And that's what the distraction mm-hmm. was for. The distraction is the coup. The, 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 the going down below, the talking to the members, the changing of the votes, the refusal to uh, take up you know, from, from senators and House members that were going to challenge a bunch of different states, particularly the battleground states, emerged seven hours later not challenging any states. They had just voted them all through, now that I remember it. You know, that's, there's the coup. That is the coup. The coup is not taking the Trump electors, not considering Trump electors, and Mike Pence did the same thing. So the fact that Mike Pence, you know, here's, here's motivation for you. What kind of vice president would willingly steal the election for the other side? What kind of vice president wouldn't fight for their ticket if they actually wanted to win and they actually had a loyalty to their party and they actually had any kind of personal ambition? You know, anybody, any regular vice president would have said, wait a minute, we haven't finished January 6th. Of course we're going to take the Trump electors. Of course we're going to either send them back to the states or consider them in Congress. And whatever happened January 6th, we've got to pick this up January 7th. That's what a normal vice president would do. He didn't do that. Because his loyalty wasn't to the party or himself. His loyalty was to the coup. That's why he, he, he canceled all the, the Trump electors. There's more proof of the coup. He's acting against what a normal person would do, a reasonable person. There's a reasonable standard, right? So a reasonable person would fight for the fact that they wanted to be vice president because he already was vice president. So he wanted to retain that office. A normal person would not steal the election for the other side unless they had a higher calling or a higher <laughs> order or were part of something or were part of a conspiracy to do that. A normal vice president would not do what he did. Well, the other thing is that so um, so what they um, what they've uh, ended up with is mm-hmm. that um, there was the, the seditious conspiracy that they wanted to stop the Earth from rotating <laughs> and 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 stop the president, you know, from the de- the president's term from ending on January 20. Um, and they were trying to oppose it by force. Now, meanwhile, mm-hmm. the Oath Keepers uh, came to the aid several times and several occasions of the U.S. Capitol Police. So this, of course, is an absolute total negation of the fantasy uh, and fairy tale of the prosecutor, you know, like, uh, well, I mean, Jeff, Jeff Nessler has an ego the size of the Grand Canyon, which is funny because he's just he's just a, a ventriloquist dummy for for Merrick Garland um, and Matthew Graves. He does, you know he he can't the, the prosecutors could not the prosecutors could not make a decision for themselves if they wanted to, even though they're obligated to under the under the ethical rules. So, so they come back here, and, and so if you went and let, – let's say the revolutionaries on, in, nine, in uh, 1917, funded by the German Kaiser, literally, historically, mm-hmm. right. and <clears throat> who went to the Winter Palace in St. Petersburg and rushed the Tsar's uh, government, if the revolutionaries stopped, turned around, sided with the palace guards, and helped the palace guards against the, against the mob, would you say they were part of the revolution? If they're helping no. the palace guards defend the Winter Palace against the revolutionaries, 
Right. Well, that's what the Oath Keepers did. Yeah. So the revolution, well, let's, it depends on the, so who are the revolutionaries yeah. we're talking about here. So there's this guy named Officer Harry Dunn, mm-hmm. U.S. Capitol Police. Now, Harry Byrd, I think, is Michael Nancy Bird. Pelosi's personal security. Oh, Harry Byrd, not, not a standard U.S. Well, different birds. I think Michael uh, Byrd, but that's a different bird. Yeah. Okay. I mean, the, the, um, the Metro, the D.C. Police, Metropolitan Police Department, of course, was the most violent. And they came in here saying, hey, let's do some uh, excessive use of force. Uh, let's violate some laws. Say, you know, the, like on the World Net Daily documentary, one of the uh, country's foremost experts on police brutality analyzed what the police did on January 6th, but that's mostly the Metropolitan Police Department under Mary, 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 Mayor Muriel Bowser. Mm-hmm. The U.S. Capitol Police, which, mo- which like wh- mostly welcomes tours of school children and mm-hmm. other tourists into the Capitol, they were different. Some of them were just as bad, but most of them were not. So anyway, Officer Harry Dunn is U.S. Capitol Police, and the, the, the Oath Keepers, you know, wandered in at around 2.40 p.m., and they were, they wandered, they got in a circle, they prayed, um, they looked around, they didn't do anything, they were calm and peaceful, it didn't break anything, and didn't hurt anyone. And they ran into a scene where Officer Harry Dunn was facing down a particularly violent subgroup, which, again, I asked, you know, why didn't Antifa show up that day when they always showed up to everything before? And my answer is they did show up that day is the answer. They mm-hmm. just were wearing red hats. Um, yeah. But so there's this very They're just violent group. Yeah, yeah. This very violent group was threatening them. Um, there is an audio recording, which um, uh, uh, one newspaper outlet is getting ready to publish, of uh, Officer Harry Dunn screaming profanities at them and threatening to shoot them, which maybe, you know, is appropriate, but it figures into the honesty of what he later says. And according to the Oath Keepers, who, again, they're gun nuts, okay? Let's, let's face it. They, uh, the Oath Keepers, they love them some guns. And so they do gun training. They do all kinds of things. And when Telly Meg says this guy was in a shooting crouch, he was about to pull the trigger, he was agitated, he was panicky, it was about to be a tragedy. Mm-hmm. And so the Oath Keepers turned around, stood in front of Harry Dunn and his partner and some others at the top of the stairs and faced down the violent mob and told them to stop and told, and basically by, by interposing themselves between the mob and the, the police, the U S Capitol police made clear, you're not coming. You, you are not doing this. You are not going to attack the Capitol police. We're standing between them. And they were in full battle gear, which they do for, you know, for visibility. And um, now officer Harry Dunn, is a weenie. He's a we- he's a weasel, and um, you know he's he's 
what they used to say, he's dining out on his mm-hmm. January 6th horror stories. He's, he testified before the select committee. He um, apparently is writing a book. Oh, I can't confirm that. One, one reporter insists that he's got a book contract. Mm-hmm. Um, he has spoken at the anti-CPAC. He's spoken to anybody who will listen about one, you know, and, and of course, what does Officer Harry Gunn talk about? He talks about how wonderful Her- Officer Harry Gunn is. So he is outraged at any suggestion that he needed the help. He, uh, he, he, you know, his, he denies fervently this story that he needed anybody's help. Oh, but it's true. They helped me. <laughs> so there is an FBI interview form, Form 302, mm-hmm. which is the subject of a full-on freakout in, uh, in the court. Um, in which Harry, Officer Harry Dunn, again, now he was shown, I mean, I, I sympathize a little bit that he wants to keep his job. When they say he was hysterical, he was about to lose it, um, he's got to say, look, I wasn't about to lose it, I, you know, because he'd get fired for being in, incompetent. So he says, <laughs> oh, I was, I was totally in control. I was never upset. I was not right. fearful. I was not this thing. Um, but, oh, by the way, the, the Oath Keepers, I told the Oath Keepers, that the protesters were threatening to go downstairs where wounded U.S. Capitol Police were being treated and decontaminated and from the tear gas that the, uh, that the police shot on themselves, um, and so, as the video shows. And, um, they, uh, and the Oath Keeper said, well, we'll help, Officer Dunn says. The Oath Keeper said they would help keep the protesters from going down the stairs. And Officer Dunn says in the FBI interview, Form 302, that I, um, I, I, I allowed them, huh. which is kind of funny because they <laughs> so have done I, anyway. Um, I'm trying to get this straight in my head, so though. He I'm a little confused. Yeah. That the ma- that the Oath Keepers came to the aid of the Palace Guard. Right. And the, and the thing is, is that I gave routine notice to mm-hmm. the prosecutors that pursuant to their standing policy, and their standard practice that if it's redacted, that it's, it, it, it can be public. I said, look, I'm following your, you know, what we've always done before, and I'm going to, you know, release this to the media because he's going to testify, and this is going to come out, and he's already testified before the whole nation, mm-hmm. so this is no longer secret. The only thing that's secret about it is him admitting that the entire Oathkeeper prosecution is a fraud on the court. They know that there is no seditious conspiracy. They know there was no conspiracy to obstruct the official proceeding. They know that there was no obstruction of the official proceeding because there's no time machine. And the, the prosecutors are lying to the jury. They're lying to the court. They're lying to the nation. And they know they're lying because I've been telling them for over a year. Yeah. So what does so what does this, this, this prosecutor Jeff Nestler do? Mm-hmm. He rushes into court, in open court with all the news media in the in the overflow room listening, and says Mosley is threatening to release this form 302. <laughs> and of course, Judge, and of course, this is with all the news media listening. Now right. the the uh, <clears throat> judge let Judge Meda doesn't know what he's talking what Nestler is talking about. Right. So he just but says, you know, well, the form, but that, he doesn't know what you, what's on it. Did you actually have a 302 form or whatever, or is this all made up? 
Oh, I sent it to everybody. Okay. I redacted. I re, I redacted the personal. I redacted the names of anybody who was not public. Okay. Although arguably they were just the FBI agent. One of them had already testified. Mm-hmm. And so, pursuant to the policies followed by the the prosecutors for the following preceding year, it's no longer sensitive. It's no longer private because okay. The, the anything that is privately that, that is um, that that could possibly be sensitive was redacted. So according to their what we've done, we did it with Michael Green, we did it with Stuart Rhodes's transcript. It's you know, and I've got all the emails, I've got them preserved. This is okay. So he goes in there, and, and Judge Maida says, "Well, if he releases that, I'm going to hold him in contempt." And he told the news media in open court with court in session, that you tweet this out to Mosley that he better not release it. And, and so, I mean, you have a judge telling the news media who's listening to tweet mm-hmm. out a message telling me right. not to release the truth, which, which exposes that the entire prosecution is a fraud. Okay, let's go over this one now, more time. I, what, I, what's in the form? Because I want to make sure everybody understands it, me included. So what did you say in the form? Interview, huh? What did you state in the Form 302? What, what, what was in there? The, the, the Form 302 is an interview with, between the FBI, one of whom has testified and the other whom will testify. Um, so there, that's not with Officer Harry Dunn. Okay. Whereas I just said, Officer Harry Dunn uh, t- takes a full page of the form right. saying like, oh, I, need, I didn't need any help. I'm such a macho cop. I'm so great. <laughs> I didn't need anybody yeah. to help me. And and then he says, oh, but they did help me. Yeah. So, you know, because the thing is, there was there was an email uh, from uh, an oath keeper who's pled guilty to to a relative um, explaining all this and how they helped the police, how they didn't um, cause any damage, how they tried to stop people from causing any damage, how they, you know, they did nothing wrong while they were in there. And the FBI showed that to Officer mm-hmm. Harry Dunn, and Harry Dunn said, "Yes, that's me." When it describes this incident, Harry Dunn says, "Yep, I recognize that incident. That was me." Mm-hmm. And then he and then he goes on to explain that yes, the Oath Keepers intervened to help the help the U.S. Capitol Police, but he only but and people will say Officer Harry Dunn denies it. That's not true. He denies needing help. He uh-huh. doesn't deny that he got it. Uh, this is what makes lawyering so interesting. Um, I've got a couple more questions. I've got Dorothy on the line, too, who's listening. I'll see if she has a reaction to this. But there's one other fundamental flaw with the prosecution, and that's the fact that uh, the Oath Keepers and, and all the other groups that were there and all the Trump supporters and everybody else, they were not there to overthrow the government. They were there to support the constitutional process. They were there to support the challenge to the, the Brandon electors. They were there to support the president, support the process. So how do you have a coup that supports the government and supports the Constitution um, when, as I say, the real coup is the one that opposed the Constitution, opposed the, everything else, and, and created this whole mess up top in the Capitol so they could twist arms below, uh, below the Congress anyway? So is the defense that these folks had stated openly that they were actually supporting the government? That's why they went. That's why everybody went to Washington. Talk to Josie. She was there. You know, well, all these folks that were there. clearly. Oh. I mean, the, the, the remaining the remaining defense attorneys there 
the uh, domesticated, well-trained poodles. Um, <laughs> they are they are bringing it out little by little. Um, James Lee Bright was tasked with writing uh, a report on the Insurrection Act, right. which is an excellent academic intellectual review of the Insurrection Act, which does not explain in one detail why this matters. Absolutely typical of these guys. You know, a technically true, you know, academic, excellent, you know, law review article on the history of the Insurrection Act, but absolutely no information whatsoever as to why in the heck would we care? Yeah, why was, are you talking about the Insurrection Act? It was, a, direction. The it about? was a support. It was a protest um, in support. It wasn't a protest. It was, a, it was an encouragement. And, and has that been brought up? Let me get, I'm going to get a comment from Pianchi, too, because he's been patiently waiting on. No, I don't. I, well, let me just finish this up, and then, because I do have to go, and I'll let you. Okay. But, but because, because, no, because the, the, the Oath Keepers were petitioning the government for the redress of grievances, which is a constitutional right under the First Amendment, mm-hmm. um, that President Trump should invoke the Insurrection Act, which is the Anti-Insurrection Act. So there's no way that people engaged in an insurrection act in an insurrection or seditious conspiracy could be asking the president to invoke a law to stop an insurrection. <laughs> it's completely Against irrational. Who? You have to be on crack cocaine to believe that. <laughs> and, and, and yet that's what the prosecution consists of. The, you know, so, I, I, I really, there, there's a, there's a program for attorneys helping attorneys to get over their addictions. I really should refer Jeff Nessler. I mean, to, to believe that someone would ask the president to use the tool of stopping insurrections as a means of engaging in an insurrection, it, you have to be you have to be high. Um, and, because, <laughs> and yet because that's the, what they're doing. So what he's saying what, is what insurrection is that, were they trying um, to stop with the act? What, so what were they trying to? So they wanted to invoke the the oath keepers wanted to invoke the insurrection act to do what exactly? To um, to uh, Put down Antifa, and uh, to, um, okay. So this is key now. And and they thought that during January 6th, the thoroughly modern Milley and the deep state would pull back and would not defend the White House. I mean, I you know I, I can't. I don't know if you should believe this or not, but I'm saying that is what they were very keenly focused. Well, on. I've heard that. Yeah. Is that is that the military would not defend the White House against Antifa mobs? rushing the White House. Mm-hmm. And they also, and that's why they stashed government legal weapons legally in Virginia. Note, and notice, Virginia has not charged them with having those weapons in Virginia because they can't. It's perfectly legal in Virginia. Yep. And um, so they, um, and they also, they, at one point there was discussion by some, this is not a consensus housekeeper idea, but the, the military should seize the election machines. But remember, that's after the vote had been taken. Yeah. It's not to seize the, the, it's not to seize the voting machines to influence the outcome. It's to investigate involvement of China in the election. That's another and story. And they also Ooh. wanted yeah. this. They wanted President Trump to declassify everything because they believed that this corruption was happening because um, too many people were facing blackmail and they wanted everything out in the open so they couldn't be blackmailed. So remember, the whole issue with Mar-a-Lago right. is whether 
Trump declassified these things, which according to the White House website archive, he did. There is a, on January 17th and 19th, there is a post on the White House website, uh, which is now on archive status, where, where Trump declassified masses of documents. And that was to protect who? Um, uh, Dorothy, I promise I'll get to you in just a minute here, but we have extended time after this. All right. Well, that, that's why I wanted so, to wrap up okay, um, that's fine. On, on that. And, and so and you so the go thing is, is, so, I mean, the evidence shows not just that the Oath Keepers are guilty, but the right. prosecutors are not guilty. The Oath Keepers are not guilty. The prosecutors are guilty of violating their ethical responsibilities, violating their charge, committing fraud on the court, obstructing an official proceeding, obstruction of justice, and and basically the prosecutors need to be in jail, not the oath keepers. So and the oath keepers failed too because the the Antifa Black Lives Matter folks actually caused the insurrection while the Trump supporters were still walking down, and they did prevent the congressionally the constitutionally authorized procedure of challenging the electors. The, what January sixth is right. so they were successful. The Antifa right. Black Lives and Matter was said, successful, in the, in and the, the FBI movie, agents were. Go ahead. In the movie Flight, it's really two movies in one. It's a wonderful movie. And at the end, um, oh, what's the guy's name? Not Wesley Snipes. Um, the Washington? Yeah, the famous black. He, he um, reached the point in a, in a, in a, in a NSTB hearing about mm-hmm. the accident. Yep. They asked him, all he has to do is just not comment or lie about who drank the alcohol on the flight. Mm-hmm. And he's just sitting there, you know, just tearing himself apart. And he finally says, the stewardess did not drink the alcohol. She asked, how do you know? Because I drank the alcohol. Mm-hmm. And he describes later that he says, I just couldn't lie anymore. I'd used up a lifetime of lies. My quota for, for one life was, was consumed, it was exhausted. And I just hope these prosecutors get up one morning and look in the mirror and say, I'm not going to lie anymore with that. So, um, yeah, we should I'll do a little bio on them. I want to know, I want to know backgrounds of the prosecutors and backgrounds of Merrick Garland. I want to know where all these people came from schools, the whole bit. It'd be fascinating if you have the time, if you want to do that. Thank you, sir. We have more questions still, but we'll get to them, but not today. All right. Goodbye. Jonathan. Sorry. To- well, that's okay. This Goodbye, is uh, well. Bye, Jonathan. I'm going to bring on Dorothy and, and see what she thinks of, of that little bit. So she got to listen to uh, what is incredible. You're not going to hear this anywhere else, folks. I mean, this is the kind of stuff that we talk about here. This is why I think our listeners are growing so fast in Australia and Canada and, and uh, Great Britain and and around the world because you know we talk about things that you're not going to get from American news sources. You know, the whole January 6th picture. Um, Dorothy, before we get to to your chat, does that did you did you hear some enlightening stuff? Or are you uh, thinking, huh, I didn't know that. How does that strike you as someone who's not as politically involved and not following this, you know, in the microcosm that we follow it in? You know, Greg, I'm, I'm actually really interested in talking about food and sex, and I'm kind of listening to you all, but um, <laughs> it's so not, my, so not my brain space right now. I don't okay. know how to shift there. I'll let you That's all worry okay. about that stuff. I have this really lighthearted, sensual mindset right now. Well, let me give you something. Let me do a let me do a little change of music thing here so that we can uh, 
what can I play here that'll sort of wake us up a little bit? Hang on. This scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. Let's this this will wake you up. Action Radio, dedicated to fixing everything. So as we move from uh, politics, crisis, and uh, turmoil, and treason to food and sex and other much more fun things to talk about, <laughs> let me present Dorothy Diana with the Sex and Sensuality Report on Action Radio. And when we shift gears, we change, like, vehicles <laughs> completely. We don't just shift gears. We, uh, we, we go from, like, you know, space to underwater. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so any good uh, cafes or breakfast places you discovered this weekend? I, I've got this running debate with you and Shirley as to who's going to get the most interesting places to go to. I'm getting a lot of background noise. Are you guys wrestling back there? What's going? On? Who's got the background? I noise? don't have. I don't have background noise. I'm sitting on my bed. My dogs are happily chewing. Maybe it's Jonathan. Jonathan downstairs and yeah, John, I'll get Jonathan to mute his phone. Jonathan, you can mute your phone while you're listening, and then just unmute if you want to come back on. That's that's fair. That's fine too. Anyway, so back to you. Yeah, I don't Dorothy. hear anything. Yeah, I do mm. well. They, cafes. You know, that's, uh, okay, so, hmm. <laughs> cafes. Do you want to talk about cafes? Well, so, just, just uh, because to because we had a <laughs> sort of running thing with you and Shirley. Shirley Watchell is our, uh, our DC Project Women and Guns reporter, and uh, Dorothy Dan is our, our sex and sensuality reporter. But they both visit cafes on the weekends and breakfast places. And I just think we should get you two together for like a food and cafe chat. Mm-hmm. Well. I stopped at a cafe and got a hot oat milk latte and a brownie on the way for early morning wake surfing on the mm-hmm. lake, watching the fall colors. So I didn't, mm-hmm. I didn't sit at the cafe, but uh, I did a cafe run by. That's what I did this weekend. <laughs> so what's wave surfing? Sounds like fun. Wake, yeah, wake surfing. So oh, wake surfing. Uh, yeah, my dear friend has a wake boat. So it's a special kind of boat that creates, it's got a lot of, uh, weight to it so as you drive it it creates a big wave on on both sides in the back and uh, you ride aboard so it's like surfing on the ocean but you have a continual wave small wave so you just surf behind the boat so you can actually practice surfing while while hanging behind a boat yeah you can let you can have a rope you hold on to and then when you get a little better you let go of the rope and you literally just ride this wave as long as you can trick wow Okay. Yeah, I tried water skiing, but uh, for those that uh, you know don't know, you know God's little joke on me. You know, my feet and knees are set at about forty-five degree angles apart. So, in other words, if I put my feet together straight, my knees are facing in at about a forty-five degree angle, which is really oh, great for fencing. It's great for fencing. It's great for tennis. It's great for standing up while carrying a a, a, a phone in marching band. It's great for side to side sports. It is useless uh-huh. for front to back uh-huh. sports. I can't ski. I can't skate. I can't roller skate. I can't roller blade. I can't do anything. I can't play hockey. I what can't about do anything snowboard? where your feet. Nope. Well, I might try snowboard? snowboard. Actually, I bet, you know that. I bet you I could probably snowboard, could snowboard. your feet are in the boot. Right, yeah, exactly. and you're and kind of and you're facing yeah. sideways. You're not facing forward. Yeah, um, but 90 degrees apart too. I probably could snowboard, but being in, since yeah. I'm in Florida now, it's probably like I have to dune board. I have to dune board here down a dune. Oh, okay, is that fun? That sounds fun. I, don't, I've never, <laughs> I just made that up. I don't even know if it's a sport. It's literally made up dune boarding. I've seen people do it. I've seen people sledding on oh, the beach in well, Santa makes Monica. Okay. Well, there's a certain beach in Santa Monica. There's a certain beach that gets really big dunes certain times of the mm-hmm. year. And so you'll yep. take your kids or, you know, teens or everybody, you know, everyone. And you, you, you sled down them like beach, it's snow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. My daughter and I, we used to go hang on the dunes, you know, we go explore the beach, we go hang on the dunes, have lunch, watch everybody else down there, watch the sunset from like, you know, three, two or three hundred feet up. And it was great. And we go, you know, run down the dunes and crash into the sand and have a great time. So, yeah, been there. Love it. Love my dunes. Oh, 
Well, okay. So we know now you have like deformed feet and legs, but you have other options. You're going to try snowboarding. Um, and well, if I, you're interested, I never, I never, <laughs> I never, I never think of myself as limited. I just find the other option. You know, I, I couldn't you're play sports because I'm. Yeah, I couldn't play sports, so I, I played music and I, you know, guitar, tuba, things like that. You know, you That's do right. what you can. We, do no, what, we all have different yeah. bodies, and we we make the most of it. I love the dance practice I teach for women. Um, hmm. So when I first tell people what I do, it's very it's very erotic and sensual, and uh, you know, there's these sort of beliefs about who can do it, and it's so not true because hmm. um, women with with not like at, with atypical bodies, per what uh-huh. our culture and media likes to um, always put front and center, actually. Uh-huh. They move so beautifully when they're moving in a feminine way with hips and curves, like our thicker women with curves rock it. And so, but they all look different. All my women look different when they move. And it's so but that's the thing now, isn't watch. it? Are like, they like bigger models? Well, but they're bigger models so and, have, and stuff. And yeah, I mean, that's not as big a deal anymore. Or is it? Yeah, I have skinny women. I have tall women. I have short women. I have thick women, you know, and okay. uh, they all find a way to move their body in like this very unique way. And it's so breathtaking. Um, and it just reminds me that, yeah, we can all do, we all find our pleasure zone in life, right? Find your pleasure uh-huh. zone, go full force into it. And um, you're going to be amazing, whatever it is. Yeah. Which leads to a question. Do, do women like watching guys dance? Uh, or is that just like John Travolta and Saturday Night Fever? You know, it's, it's, I'm I mean, just curious. I think women are less tend to be less visual. Women tend to be less visual. Um, I feel like everyone loves watching women dance, kind of. It's I don't know why, but it's um, there's something okay. universal about watching a woman dance very um, erotically, not necessarily even with the purpose of seduction, but the purpose of moving her body in a way that feels free and amazing and tells a story. I think that mm. probably goes back eons in our human history. You and know? so women wouldn't watch a guy doing that. I'm just curious. Not that we wouldn't. That I mean, I, I appreciate oh, Jonathan a man that can dance. One. Yeah. <laughs> Jonathan, was that you? I was going to say exactly what you said, is that, is that uh, nobody wants to see a guy dance. Um, I didn't but, say that. but it's true. It's absolutely true what she's saying. Oh, oh yeah. Okay. We'll get you guys chatting. Well, so, okay. Just... They, they do say there's a lot of truth to if a man can dance, he tends to be good in bed. That is tried and true. Oh, I want a dance competition. I just thought I'd throw uh, that in. Did you? <laughs> yeah, actually a couple. And I used to, I used to do dance marathons. Uh, we, did, we had multiple sclerosis uh, uh, marathons, and I, I did two of them two years in a row. It's 28 hours of straight dancing. Short breaks every couple hours. Wow, that's yep. a lot. Yeah. It was. Well, I was, you know, I was like 19. I could do it. For sure. I don't know if I could do it now. 1920, <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. It was fun. But, uh, yeah, now that's, that, now that's interesting. About, yeah. mm-hmm. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, how do you feel about talking about food and sex? That's kind of what I'm into today, but like, we can talk I about think dancing. Those are, also. I love it. No, no, no. Listen, well, hey, listen, <clears> food and sex are two. Now, I, I, I think that they're, those, those two are actually very similar. There's a lot of parallels mm-hmm. between yeah. food and sex. So go ahead. Yeah, a lot of parallels. Let's, let's yeah, hear it. Yeah, healthy appetite. You can sit with someone while they okay. eat and tell a lot about their sensuality and how they what they eat or how they eat how they eat or how they eat okay i think how more than what but Ooh. um appetite for appetite for pleasure willingness to be in abandon a state of abandon um you have okay. some people who eat and they just they're like mm, this is so good and they're you can tell they're just really enjoying their meal like Food they gasm. taste it they're commenting on it they're they're um Okay, so wait a minute. They're uninhibited. I don't mean messy. Well, maybe even no, a little messy, huge. really. Wait and then a minute. you have no, very is... neat. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, very neat controlled eaters that um, maybe are a little more picky and uh, take these tiny little bites. And And they suck in bed. I do believe it. I mean, well, this there's a chance of trying to be well, polite. Maybe it's a first date, but in general, once you eat with somebody for a while, I think you can see a lot of parallels. Mm-hmm. Okay, between food and sex. Now, this is fascinating to me because we all know there's date food, but is there date eating? In other words, is there date, you know, etiquette? Do you seduce somebody by the way you eat food? I mean, this is I, this is a whole chapter I've never thought of. You know, in other words, mm-hmm. what goes into because, like, you know, we don't want spaghetti and things are going to mess, okay? Because it's it's a date. You want to be at your best behavior. But are there, are is there is there is there a date, you know, sex seduction culture with how you eat and what you order? I mean, this can be fascinating. We should we should play with it. Well, we all know. I think that 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 young people have known for a long time that you know if you're going to hook up, if you're going to hook up, you want your drink your drink at the bar to be vodka and pineapple juice for a reason i think there okay. probably are what's the foods. reason excuse me for for here's where my boy scout uh you know choir boy uh, thing comes out i have no idea what you're talking about what do Can vodka I say and pineapple juice do? well pineapple um, juice makes makes it tastes better down there. Makes everything taste better. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I did not know that. Keep for sure. Yes, you can say that on the air. You can say pretty much anything okay. on the air. Whether I'm going to know yeah. what you're talking about is another question. Okay, so it's true. So the foods you eat affect so what women your secretions. So be aware <laughs> of that. Drink? So what eating drink? a lot of garlic and and, ca- and coffee and um, bitter foods and acidic foods is not a great idea if you know you're going to have a sexual encounter. Um, and then there are foods you can eat that are really going to amp up your ability to have a great sexual encounter. And I'm happy to talk about those. Watermelon is one. First of all, makes the breath super fresh, hydrates you a lot. So you have lots of fluids to work with, which makes it easier down there. And uh, they also contain um, a This for both men and women, really right? We're talking both men and women? You want men to and women. So okay. watermelon um, improves an erection and increases libido in men and women. And it Wait a also, minute. So um, we can replace Viagra yeah. with watermelon? I mean, guys, are you listening there, to you? I, you Viagra guys are, is the biggest are... scam ever, and I'm probably going to get sued by Viagra for saying that. But it's, nah, Viagra has caused show. more damage to more damage to sexual relations for many, many reasons. Really? But I won't that. But yes, Let's do a show on it. Let's do a show on it. Food is secure to health in every arena. But sexually, hmm. yes, watermelon also has a lot of arginine, which um, increases blood flow to the genitals. It's responsible hmm. for vascular health. And it tastes good. If you kiss someone after they eat watermelon, yum, yum, right? It's yummy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. See, now, I always like, like wine kisses or, or like alcohol kisses. You know, it's a big thing. Mm-hmm. So you, mm-hmm. if you, I mean, you can, that, that to me is, we're talking food seduction and drink seduction. You know, it's just like, mm-hmm. like you know, beer kisses aren't as good, but, you know, red wine kisses and, and whiskey, for some reason, don't ask me why, you know, certain things are like grit. There's like kissing food. So there's a whole other topic, too. So what, what, are, what are the number one? Well, so what are some of the big kissing foods? interesting. Uh-huh. I mean, so anything that tastes good to you and to your right. partner is, is erogenous. So I love having a bite of something and then kissing my partner okay. for the purpose of tasting that and having that sensual pleasure and that share, sharing something, uh-huh. like sharing okay. that taste. Alcohol is mm. interesting because, um, you know, you might love whiskey or red wine, but it increases the desire but it decreases, it can decrease performance, obviously. And then That's Shakespeare um, yep. you have to be very, very careful with, yeah. with how much you consume. We don't drink a lot of alcohol. 
Yeah, yeah, just a few sips, and it, and it helps widen the blood vessels also and increases mm. blood flow to the genitals, mm-hmm, to okay. the genitals and can make so, the lips a little more sensitive. Mm. How about like a watermelon margarita or watermelon daiquiri, or is that – that's not actual – it's not actual watermelon. It's, it's, I guess that's a concentrate or a, a flavored thing. But if you actually had a slice well, of watermelon you can with a watermelon, a watermelon like um, one of those frozen drinks, you can do actual watermelon and okay. add just a little bit of something to it. Mm-hmm. Would that have the same effect as, as natural watermelon? I really don't know. That's not my specialty, but I, I think it'd be fun to try it. <laughs> okay. I, I'm going to ask you anyway. It doesn't have to be your specialty. Believe me. I, on, on this show, we're going to ask. <laughs> Because we're curious. Yeah, I love know, it. I love it. I feel like try everything. Half of the fun is trying it with somebody you trust well, you're me, in a relationship with. Let's try let peaches, me. too. Peaches improves um, sperm quality, has a lot of vitamin C really? in it. You can make a, pe- a peach watermelon smoothie, add a little splash of alcohol if you want that. I don't personally like that, but, um, does, yeah, maybe take it to bed it, uh, and sip it. Tastes good down there, as you said? Well, a lot of the sweeter fruits do, but pineapple's the, the known for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it wasn't known to me. How come everybody else knows this stuff? You know almost <laughs> everything. You can't know everything. Actually, you're right. Okay, so I, I'm going to do a whole. I'm going to make a whole category in my notebook here. It's going to be called sex foods, and we're going to devote a page yeah. to this. So we've got watermelon. So also um, berries. So berries. You know, strawberries kind of have a long history in movies of being used for sex. Strawberries and chocolate. Oh, and chocolate also, yeah. Chocolate increases serotonin and endorphins, uh-huh. so okay. it can improve libido on people who need that. But strawberries and the berries have zinc, which is really interesting because I, I, um, I remember reading about berries and sex a while back, but I had forgotten. You know, we hear so much about zinc since the pandemic, also knowing about zinc in the immune system, how essential it is and how a lot of us are depleted. But it also, mm-hmm. um, zinc gets depleted for men during intercourse and it's yep. essential for testosterone. Mm-hmm. So um, berries are super fun. I've, I've looked mm-hmm. up and berries health, are convenient. Yeah. Well, but berries don't have a lot of zinc, though. You know what does have a lot of zinc? Pumpkin seeds have a tremendous amount of zinc. Yeah, pumpkin seeds. Well, they're not as fun in bed, though. I'm talking about foods that are fun in bed. I mean, you can bring well, no, pumpkin you, seeds no, to bed. No, you have pumpkin seeds the imagine... day before. Eat your pumpkin seeds regularly, okay, at non-sexual encounters, and, and save the berries for, for... Well, do you remember the scene in Pretty Woman, you know, where Richard Gere is there, and he orders uh, champagne and strawberries, and Julie Roberts oh, yeah. uh, says, well, why, do you, why do you need strawberries? Well, because they're the best. His answer to everything was, they're the best. He says, they also That's right. bring out the flavor of the champagne. I'm like, okay. So, uh, you know, I, mm-hmm. I can afford the strawberries. We'll worry about the champagne next week. But uh, yeah, so so well, so strawberries bring out fun, flavors. Like, um, okay, they bring out flavors. But champagne—a fun thing to try with champagne. I love champagne, and again, okay. I don't really drink too much just because it's so hard on the body. And I won't get into that. Yeah. But if you're well, enjoying it, you if too. you're enjoying it, yeah, and if you're enjoying it for sexual yeah. encounters, you mm-hmm. know, just putting a little bit by the bed, and you can take a sip and. Um, and exchange it in your lover's mouth, like actually mm. share the champagne, which is so hot and wow. uh, how fun, right? Mm-hmm. Sounds like fun to and me. I'm, I'm, I'm there. Yeah. Well, well, here's an interesting question, though. Um, wine tasting. 
you know, this is something we used to do a lot in California because it was fun because we had Napa Valley, Sonoma Valley, things like that. You get a lot of couples wine tasting. I mean, how many have sex after wine tasting? I'm just curious. I mean, I, I know the, the hotels in Calistoga were crowded, and they had the mud baths afterwards, too. So if you really want it, like a total encounter, and if you're in California, this is back in the 80s when it was a lot less crowded. But you could go wine taste. You go for, like, you know, a couple wineries, and you go to have a nice picnic lunch outside. You go have a couple more wineries. You're not really driving far, and you're, you're spacing it out. So, so Yeah, we're all near really each know, other, and it's you know, so We didn't beautiful. even know designated drivers then, but, you know, we, we sort of worked it out. Anyway, and then you go to Calistoga, and they have the mud baths, and they have, like, a glider port. So you go on a glider ride at sunset, you know. And then uh, if you don't want to drive home, there are places to stay. I mean, I, I guarantee you. So how much – so wine tasting. Is Amazing a, vacation. You know, what a fun couple's vacation. I, I, Napa Valley is one of the most, I think, beautiful, sensual, fun places for couples. Yep. Agreed. Mm-hmm. Not in the summertime. Don't go in the summer, folks. I'll tell you, the time to go to California, <laughs> the time to go to the Bay Area. Here's a little secret. Okay, so here's a little release some information here. The third week mm-hmm. in January. Most people don't know this, but the third week in January, there's usually a January thaw. Uh, in San Francisco, and nobody's there because it's January. They're in Hawaii, you know. They're they're down in uh, Key West, you know, wherever they are, you know, Corpus Christi, wherever the southern places are. All right, Tijuana, <laughs> maybe not these days, um, but California, but the Northern California, which is normally cold, you know, they get this like the third and fourth week. We've had it up to 100 degrees sometimes, so you don't want it that bad. But it gets to this nice like 80, 90, you know, perfect weather, and nobody's there. So all the Californians go out and do stuff in the third and fourth week in January because nobody's there. So there's a good time to go to Napa and Sonoma. A all hint. right, don't tell everyone. Once you tell people, then all of a sudden it becomes crowded. No, don't, forget. Secret. don't forget. You know, well, secret. It's okay. You've got to go to other places. Yeah, then, I'll go find, then I'll find another place to go when everybody's in California. You know, so that's, that's okay. Yeah, I love so wine Napa tasting. because you're right. The mm-hmm. wine tasting, and it's great mm-hmm. for couples, and you just have a few sips. But you have to be careful because, gosh, it sneaks up on you. After just a few wineries, I mean, someone like me is – I mean, I'm pretty lightweight. Well, you taste, um, you don't drink. That's what those uh, barrels are I, for. Even, right, even, yes, that's true. And they give you lovely little food. So, yeah. oh, so sensual. The compliments of wine. And but isn't this, so beautiful uh, there. isn't this a whole sensual day? Because wine is sensual itself. You breathe in the wine. You get the bouquet. You test the legs. You know, you, uh, you discuss the vintage. I mean, it, it, I mean, wine is sex. I'm sorry. I don't care. I mean, yeah. You know, who is it that said wine is intellectual. Po- yeah. Sensual. Sex it's, and wine, wine and sex, in, they're, they're, in, they're totally intertwined. Mental, physical, yeah, emotional. Right, like in, yep. okay. in small amounts, like not guzzling and then trying to get laid, no, but no, letting no. it complement you, bring the pleasure to the experience. It's all about moving towards pleasure. Like mm. if you take a sip of wine and you really let it sit in your mouth, and like you said, mm-hmm. you smell it ahead of time, you look at it in the glass, you swirl it, you take your sip, you let it sit in your mouth, you look at your lover as they are taking their sip, and you're both kind of mm-hmm. contemplating this bouquet, contemplating, mm-hmm. and then you take a little bite. I mean, that affects your brain. Don't even you don't even have to get a little bite of whatever you're eating that complements Ooh. it, or a bite. I'm of just them. curious where you're going with this. Okay, you know, I'm listening. You know, I listen to every um, word you say. You know that, it. don't you? Okay, fine. All right. So I, I think that that is about sensuality and pleasure. And it takes the focus off, okay, I have to drink in order to get uninhibited because I'm with somebody I don't know that well. No, I'm with my partner that I'm No, I think trust. you have to know someone. You, you yeah. couldn't do this with somebody. You wouldn't want this for a first date. First date, you go out, you know, do the normal stuff. But I think a third and fourth date, when you're, or especially if you've if you started a relationship, oh, yeah, go wine tasting. Absolutely. But wine is foreplay. 
It really is mm-hmm. you know, the way we're describing yeah, it. Agreed. So here's the question too, because you mentioned earlier, if if somebody dances well, they're probably good in bed. If somebody enjoys their wine, if they treat it as a multi-course event, if they read the bottle, if they discuss where the grapes are from, if they sample the bouquet, if they talk to the person who's doing it, and, you know, the wine taster person, sommelier, if I can drop a word like there, um, you know, and so you're engaging, everybody's engaging, you're talking about the wine, you're experiencing the wine, you're getting the bouquet, the whole thing. That's exactly, I mean, I, you can't, I don't think you can be a good wine drinker and a bad lover. I don't think that the, the it's just like a dancing, same thing. I think there's a direct correlation between how people drink wine I and think how they that might be in if bed. You're enjoying, you're enjoying something in detail and you're taking the time to appreciate the beauty and the art and everything that goes into it. My mm-hmm. guess is you're going to treat your lover's body that way. Yeah. Well, how about just treating your lover that way? Are you, you're going to listen to them. You're going to talk to them. You're going to experience things together. You're going to want a shared experience. See, I don't, see, mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I don't compartmentalize. I just, I don't think of, you know, to me, foreplay is like an ongoing thing from the start of the relationship to the end of the, the relationship. Sure it is. never ends. Okay. So this is how I see it. All right. And I might be different than a lot of guys that have been told that just by things that, you know, that I'm saying here, um, not just here, but everywhere, but this has always been my attitude is that if you compartmentalize, it's like, I'm a lover now, you know, I'm a, I'm a whatever, I'm, you know, taking out the garbage now. I'm, it does whatever not I'm doing. work in relationships. Just, that's no, that not work. it. You're missing the big picture. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Right. I mean, I, and I, I don't want to be sexist here, so don't, don't jump on me, but, uh, for women, especially, I think, I think that, that the everyday is the foreplay. The foreplay is in the, you know, details of your day together. See, this and is um, this is a huge difference. How you're, how yeah. you're treated so, and how you feel. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've heard this woman say <clears throat> my, you know, husband, partner, whatever, boyfriend takes out the garbage. It was so romantic. And the guy's like, Oh God, I got to take out the garbage. I'd really rather do something else. <laughs> you know, we do look at this completely differently. This is a huge difference. So she thinks he's, she, he's doing something for her. He thinks it's drudgery that he has to, in order to get back and, and with her and do whatever else they were doing dinner, you know, um, whatever. Yeah. How about, um, well, be the, be the woman that be the woman that he wants to jump up and do it for you. Okay. And, um, you be the man that, that does it, that makes you feel cared for, safe and special. Mm-hmm. And if I think if we do that every day, it's kind of a win-win, right? Yeah. Especially like something like picking the garbage is easy. You know, she, she says change the oil in the car and, you know, do all kinds of stuff and get grubby for like six hours or whatever. Cause I can't, you know, it's, it's, or, or something much more complex. So it really depends on the request. In other words, well, then if you, you are the night of chocolate and strawberries, <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And the changing the oil deserves bit. that night of, of food and okay. special right. throwaway sheets. <laughs> okay. All right. Can't wait till we get to Valentine's day and steak and blowjob day. That's going to be really fun. We'll have to discuss that next year. I'll give you a little preview. I don't know why that came to mind. It did you say blowjob day? I did. It's, it's Steak okay. and BJ Day. Don't you know is about that? blowjob day? No. You haven't heard about this? Oh, okay. This is going to be great. No. Jonathan, feel free to jump in. I hear someone in the background. Or is that, uh, is that you with the, with the deep voice? No. See, about, uh, so guys got sick of all the crap that goes into Valentine's Day, all things we have to do. You know, guys don't like this drudgery mm-hmm. stuff, okay? Well, they'll do it well, for Well, being told you know, to do but, it, yeah. Being told, exactly, that's it, being told to do it. The expectation that, oh, I have to, you know, go to an expensive restaurant, I have to get this, I have to get a gift, you know. And of course, my secret is, I always like to do things the week before Valentine's Day because you know, nobody was there. Because <laughs> everybody's like doing nice, it on the day. I like it. So you do it the, yeah, the week before, and it's great. You get the restaurant to yourself, or even the day before. You get the restaurant to yourself, you get to have fun. Yeah, stay in no bed pressure. on Valentine's Day. <laughs> yeah, go home on Valentine's Day. We just stay off those yeah. streets on Valentine's Day. Yeah. But anyway, so, so some guy got pissed off at all this and said, I don't want to do all this stuff. So he said, well, we need a guy's day. So he came up with Steak and BJ Day. 
I said the actual mm-hmm. word. I don't know how that came out. It must have been a spontaneous thing. So you get me in this mood where I start talking about this stuff more freely than I normally would, which is which is probably mm-hmm. good. But yeah, so Steak and BJ Day is the month after Valentine's. I love Day. it. March I love 14th. it. So we'll contrast that. that. Like so fun. the preview of next year's coming attractions, if you'll excuse the uh, reference. Anyway. <clears throat> I think that sounds like fun, and steak is so good for your sex drive. Also zinc, vitamin B, iron, protein, both for men and women, improve libido, and that sounds like a, just a successful plan. Greg, I love it. Is there different foods for women and men for sex? Good question. Um, I, I have a lot of information on erections. I think there's so much focus on erections and erectile dysfunction that a lot well, of Well, without erections, you're not going to have a lot of sex. A lot of the information I get these days is about erection and sperm quality, but um, as far as women, a lot of it is lubrication and increasing desire. Well, that's kind of the counterpart, isn't it? I mean, aren't those two, um, you know, erections and, and lubrication, aren't, aren't those the two? Yeah. I mean, what, what are, I mean, the, the sex is, I always think of sex as an equal thing with, you know, different, obviously, parts and people and stuff like that. But the thing is, there are still considerations. There are still, you know, so what are the erection foods? <laughs> Let's go there. This could be fun. Oh, I mean, there's so many. Um, okay. So we started with watermelon, anything that contains arginine, which is the circulation of blood vessels, almonds, arginine. Um, erection, uh, eggs, eggs also have a lot of arginine. Okay. Uh, I always hear about beets okay, for, for, about for blood steak, circulation. There's a big push on, on beet concentrates. testosterone. Okay. Uh, Brazil nuts have selenium. Um, Brazil nuts have selenium, too. Yeah, selenium, yep, which, which is healthy testosterone. Yeah, you're right. Okay. Huh. We are, most of us are deficient in selenium. Hmm. I eat Brazil nuts. I mean, I'm not. I'm fine. <laughs> So you want Brazil nuts, um, you want walnuts, Greek. you want, um, what else you want? Pistachios. And there's a couple other things of, of your nut components and pumpkin seeds. Uh, you want walnuts for brain food. I've heard that walnuts make you smarter. Um, so they're, they're a brain component. Have walnuts you heard that one? Walnuts are great for sexuality also. I'm trying to okay. remember well, what exactly. Well, if sex is in your sperm, mind. Sperm count. I think it's mostly okay. sperm with walnuts. Mm. Um, okay, so, so women, hold on, you asked about women, and I'm now I'm, I'm yep. on that, my brain is going there. Steak, <laughs> we talked about for women. Fenugreek, right. oh, 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 um, what is that? The deer What's velvet um, antler, deer antler velvet. Uh-huh. That's men and women, libido. We don't eat that stuff, Gosh, do you? We, oh, you oh, don't eat, no, you don't eat deer oil. velvet. What's that? No, no, it's a supplement. I mean, you can spray it in your mouth. Uh, uh-huh. Neroli okay. oil, great for women, and What's that? and um, it's uh, and it's essential oil. It's it's, From I where? Think it's Indian. I think it's Indian. Uh, well, yeah, the Indians uh, came out with good... Karma Sutra, so we got to talk about that one day or over I several know. weeks. <laughs> so, so what is it about the Indian culture that that created such such an incredible intense sexuality, and we're open about it compared to the Puritans? Or other religions. Well, I think our culture is one of the worst. And I think if you travel around, I had this conversation yesterday with somebody who hasn't traveled a whole lot about Carnival. And like when you travel to Carnival in different countries, how shocked you are if you were raised in the U.S. and you haven't traveled a lot, how mm-hmm. openly sexual the cultures are, even with family involved and family present. And you just don't get this weird prudish feeling. You get this feeling like dancing and sexuality and sexual expression is just part of, part of the everyday Mm-hmm. Um, where we keep it so closed off here in the U.S., right? Well, so here we talked about you know sex is a commodity in the U.S. because we're we're a market based economy. So uh, I noticed that when I got to Europe that uh, it was uh, you know the, especially 
you know, women, sex, relationships, everything else, all the stuff we talked about, the openness of just, you know, it's who you are and, and what you want to experience and what decisions you make. But here it's much more of a commodity, you know, in other words, like balance size is probably one of the worst commodity trades, you know, of, of sex and relationships there is. And I think that's, we need to get that out of our culture, you know, to get out of the commodity mode mm-hmm. and get into the human relationship mode. This is why, there's another good yeah, reason why we do this. Commodity this hour. Yeah, it, it shouldn't be. It's the, the, I mean, the free market's great, but it doesn't apply to everything. Least of all relationships. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Oh gosh, it's a complicated topic because I do also believe in, you know, transactional relational psychology, where when we enter relationship, we kind of have an unspoken contract, and our we talked about that. Sexuality and that's, our yeah, but it's uh, not. That's not it's really a contract, a but it's, it's not, not a, a covenant. See, Yes, yeah, a commodity is like a monetary exchange. So in other words, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's work or, or goods and services or, or goods for services or services for goods. You know, it's, a, in other words, a commodity exchange as opposed to a contract, which is an agreement. That's a totally different thing. And it's really different because of, our, because of the time we live in. So I think about it like if you were to take the covenant relationship back many, many years, it would be you're going out to hunt, you're going out to build this house, you're going out, and I'm going to create a home and raise the children and bring you sensual pleasures to our relationship, make sure that you're mm-hmm. comfortable when you come home. Whereas now that's sort of translated to you're bringing home the money and I'm taking care of the home. So um, yeah, probably not talking about really commodity, although we're talking about money a little bit. Yeah, I want, to get covenant, I want to get back to covenant relationship. Yeah, that's yeah. like another show. I want to get back to food and sex because I find it fascinating. Okay, let's, uh, the, all, the, all these okay. different foods. Let's that talk we, about we, a fun thing to do in ahead. bed. This is so okay. fun. I, and I wanted, right. I just want to make sure I don't forget it because um, it's like a sexy idea that oh, people can do. Don't. So you want to get your um, your sheets. You know, obviously, don't surprise yourself and end up on your white comforter. Have the throwaway sheets with the towels ready and have your um, baby wipes ready, you know, maybe a bowl of warm water and a, and a washcloth. But um, and where are we going with this, this Dorothy? Game, well, <laughs> just food in bed, having oh. fun with food in bed. So this, okay. in, when you're in a long-term committed relationship and you know your partner really well, is especially uh-huh. fun because now you're bringing some variety into the bedroom. Um, you know, we always eat, we eat every day down in the kitchen or, you know, out to lunch, but bringing it in the yeah, bedroom is fun. how boring is that? And this, yeah. Well, like, and it's so sensual, and it's and it's so delightful to taste food on your lover's lips or on your lover's body. Um, but you can take a dab of honey. You can blindfold one person, and then the other person lays down and puts a dab of honey somewhere on their body. Did I see this in a movie? This sounds like nine and a half I weeks. Don't are we are know. we are we recreating a movie scene here? I think I've heard I this before. I didn't see a movie with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. Nine and a half weeks. Does everything well, it's more have of a food obsession. It's oh, actually, my God. So are we doing Fifty Shades of Grey, nine and a half weeks, or where are we going here today? <laughs> I don't think this is S&M, BDS&M. This is fun. No, no, I'm not playful. talking about that. But they, they, there was some well, serious it Fifty food Shades of Grey, I think about like is like a little BDSM, Fifty Shades of Grey. I don't think I got that far into it. I got bored. Probably watched football. <laughs> you were like, I could have written this. Yeah, that's kind of yeah, how I exactly, felt. I was yeah. reading and I was like, I could have written this. But, yeah. um, no, I don't think I could have written it, little, but uh, well, uh, it's definitely a chick film, you know, but uh, <laughs> I was forced to watch nine and a half weeks at one time with, uh, you know, it was, it was like a date movie. It's like, okay, fine. So can we watch Spartacus after this? You know, something good. Okay, fine. So <laughs> it was like one of those commodity trades, but anyway. I haven't seen another. nine and a half weeks, but it's like this classic sexy film, I guess. It's a lot of, right? a lot of food. A lot of food. Is, is, it, the, yeah. is it from the 80s or 70s? When, when I think it's, yeah, it's 80s. It's definitely 80s, you yeah. know. Okay. That's not before your time, is it? 
Well, now I have to watch it. I want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Next week, we'll do movie reviews. In fact, actually, that's, that, that opens up a whole new topic, sex and movies. You know, or I think like everyone should watch it. I think your listeners should all watch That should be the homework assignment. Okay, because we're talking weeks. about food and sex, and if that right. has a lot to do with food and sex, let's watch it and, and take those things to the bedroom. Why not? Have fun. And it's mm-hmm. been so well, long since the movie came out that maybe mm-hmm. we need a reminder. Hmm. But why would you blindfold people? I've, I've never the two things I don't understand, and this is, you'll have to explain this to me: tying people up and blindfolding. Mm-hmm. I think you know mm-hmm. it's it's trust almost beyond uh, the request. You're asking for too much trust well, at that point. At okay, which point okay. do you so say, feeling, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Mm-hmm. Okay. My feeling is if you have a blindfold or you have your eyes closed, you're forced to use your other senses. So a lot of us who are very stimulated visually, um, mm-hmm. okay, a lot of people who are highly intellectual also, they really have a hard time sometimes filtering their world. So, like, there's a lot that's coming in all the time. But let's take away one of the senses, sight, and mm-hmm. force yourself to rely on one of the other ones that can be fun. And it depends on how you see it and how your relationship with your partner is. So in this particular fun game, the blindfolded one has to take their time and with their lips and tongue find the dab of honey. Yeah, and that might take a really long time. And then you can it trade might. places. Okay. Yeah. Do you like and play Marco really Polo? You know, when, when, <laughs> well, yeah, but do you like the Marco Polo thing? You know, you're closer, you know. Marco Polo. Kind of. Marco Polo. Okay. Yeah, okay, fine. Right. You never could catch the person, though. I never did catch anyone in Marco Polo. No, oh. but if, you, if you're chasing food around, uh, you're chasing honey around somebody's body. I'm just, I'm just curious. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so, but, but just you, a drop. But if you, you have something with too a, much because then it gets really messy, and you don't want to put it yep. too close to pubic hair, obviously. Yeah, yeah, but honey doesn't have. Well, thanks for all these details now. But honey doesn't have a really <laughs> great aroma. Honey doesn't have a lot of aroma that you could chase. If you had something that was much more fragrant that you could find much more easily. I'm trying to think of a food that would do that. What's what's the what's the most know. fragrant? I mean, sh- yeah. depends on how deep your nose is. Also, I mean, some people are nose deaf, mm-hmm. and some people can smell things. Nose but deaf. You use your lips and tongue. That's what okay. I call it. Nose deaf. They just can't smell mean. anything. I just never heard but that. if you have okay. to lose your, use your lips and tongue for so long, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And um, and how good does it feel on the other person's body to have so much of their body kissed and licked? I don't know. Good exactly. Question. <laughs> hmm. Hmm. I'm just I, my mind's going wild right now. Don't mind me. <laughs> I know this is radio, but this all. is part. Of, this is the most visual radio segment I think we do. <laughs> this is because mm-hmm. it's a, it's so much fun to think about these things. Okay, well you got me thinking. And then there's my the whipped cream cherry bikini that can be fun. I mean, whipped cream okay. has like a 20 minute window. You know, it starts to get really watery. So mm. if you're going to do whipped cream, I'm a huge fan of making your own. It's healthier, so it's just cream, heavy cream, a little bit of vanilla, sugar if you want it, a little bit of sugar, and then, you know, beat for like, what, two to five minutes. You've got a great bowl of amazing whipped cream, so much better than the squirt stuff. But Mm. then if you put it in, if you have it in a metal bowl and you put it in another bigger metal bowl that has like ice water, you can keep Mm -hmm. it by your bed and it'll last a lot longer. Otherwise, it melts quickly. But um, I think little dabs is better, but some people like to, you know, draw the bikini on. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I mean? Well, paint paint like a like a whipped cream bikini on their breasts and then put a little. Oh, I see. Okay, now, right. now yeah. I now I understand where we're going here. Okay, so I, like I said, I've led such a sheltered life. I'll have to uh, when the manual comes out, let me know. I'll, I'll see what I can do with it. Yeah. 
Well, that's fun. I mean, it's a lot of food all at once, but it's cute mm-hmm. and it's playful. And, you know, mm-hmm. we've talked before about how important it is to be playful and be willing to laugh, you know. So you have this whipped cream bikini on that can be kind of comical, but also super erotic and tasty. I mean, yeah. You know, and laughter is, is so important. There's, there's uh, you know, it's interesting that uh, do people laugh? You know, how much do they communicate? Or is, is sex a serious thing where they have to, you know, have sex and then not talk and not laugh? And I think there's, uh, you know, I've, uh, without revealing sources or personal stuff like that, it's just, it's interesting the differences out there. Some people think that sex is a serious thing and it has to be done in a serious way. And other folks are like giggling hysterically and it's like having a great time. Uh, I, you know, it's just, it's a very, people restrain themselves in so many different areas. It's really interesting. That was and one too. And some people giggle, some yeah. women giggle when they orgasm, which can be really off-putting to men. But um, that's something Unless some you know natural. ahead of time. Yeah. What if it's a, what if it's a, what if it's a really cool giggle? Well, yeah. And let them know ahead of time. And I mean, I love laughter, so... I mean, well, when you trust your partner, you know they're not laughing at you, and you're just having a great time. Well, but that's the food introduces the potential for laughter because it can be messy and it can be weird, and you know, unexpected things can happen. So, yeah. Well, especially when funny things happen during sex, condoms, <laughs> huge potential for humor. Mm. Mm. Share. So, share, Greg. And humor is a great way to handle something rather than be embarrassed and off put. So it's mm-hmm. like you know, so you, people, I think you know, sex and humor. And so we should. Uh, you mean if you can't get the uh, you mean if you can't get the condom on correctly? Is that what you mean, or if, or something? It's just any number of things can't get out of the package. <laughs> you know, buying oh, yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's why I've always said this, especially in, in my youth. You know, using condoms isn't a problem. Buying them—that's the problem. You know, so you're in public, people are watching, and it's always women at the counter and women behind you and women all around you. And it's like I know what those are for. Okay. Mm-hmm. They need to make it easier, especially for, for our teens, honestly. I mean, yeah, that's a whole agreed. other topic about should teens even be having sex? Are they emotionally mature enough? Probably not. But, you know. You Was anybody the first time? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean it, it, there's so many things, you know, we call, you know, acquired skills, you know, life skills, things like that. Is anybody really ready the first time? That's all. That's all. Right I, I love the idea of the community, um, community, like safe places where someone can go in maybe to the mm-hmm. library, to the corner and get. Um, prophylactics condoms uh, for free without having to go to the store. Like if you need one, you just go in to the the safe place and open the box and grab one Um, Mm -hmm. versus having to go into your CVS, especially in small towns where everyone knows each other. Everybody knows everybody. You know, we all saw the movie the summer 42. That's before my time. But uh, yeah, it's just, just, uh, and that's something that's not talked about. Like I said, you have to use condoms. So yeah, well, tell me how to buy them without everybody watching. (laughs) That's you know, right. You're 18 years old. What are you going to do? You know, especially in a small town. Or 15. You know. A lot of kids, 15, oh, and they, they need yeah. access to condoms, and it should be mm-hmm. easy access and available without without shame. Yeah, yeah I know parents, parents don't want to get do them because they don't want the kids. Yeah, and parents don't want to think the kids are having sex no matter what age they are. So they, you know, they're probably reluctant to buy them. Well, that's a good question. What you know, what would be? You know, I guess it, obviously it varies by person, but he, the realities are, you know, people have sex. You know, nature made it fun. God made it fun. So we would, you know, not die out as a species. Okay. So we've, we've got the, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. you know, we've, and then we've got the Bible, you know, and uh, the various solutions for saying, you know, you have to wait till marriage and all that kind of stuff. And then you've got um, the world that we live in, you know, where sex is everywhere. It's in the movies, it's in the magazines, it's on the news. It's, you know, there's sex no matter where you go. Uh, and so, and so we, we put kids in this world. 
you know, where there's sex everywhere, um, being told not to or not to because for whatever reason. But they, you know, because now they're really curious. And of course, like I say, once the hormones kick in, you know, we're all kind of pre-wired. So why not have condoms available? And they, they just make well, sense. Well, right. So agree because they're going to do it, and we know that there's tools we have available that can increase their likelihood of waiting, increase mm-hmm. the likelihood of, of, of um, making great decisions and having only one partner um, and great yeah. sex ed starts young, starts young. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are absolutely ways that we can encourage teens to understand it's for pleasure and, and, and know that it feels really good, but then there's a lot of reasons why you want to wait and be very selective with your partner, but because we're not there in our culture and we give all these mixed messages and, mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of lies and a lot of, uh, a lot of things in our culture that encourage them to have it recklessly and have it young and, and mm-hmm. think of it as a status thing. So yeah, condom, I mean, protection needs to be made available to them easily and freely. One. And it does not well, encourage them to have more sex. That is a myth. Having, oh, okay, having, discussing sexuality with, with teens and being right. open about sexuality and telling them the truth and letting them have um, access to birth control does not increase the likelihood of them having sex. Is that what the studies mm-hmm. say? I'm curious. Yeah. All the research okay. shows that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that actually makes but, sense. Yeah. I mean, if you know, if you don't know anything about sex, you might have it not knowing even that you're having sex. I mean, if you grew up in a vacuum, mm-hmm. you know, in a very puritanical, yeah. let's go back hundred years, you know, when sex wasn't even mentioned. You couldn't talk about it. You know, of course, in those days they bundled, they wrapped up the guys and all this stuff and sewed them up in bags, but that was another story. Um, but if you, if you didn't, you know, knowing, you know, I think makes a huge difference um, because they're going to find out. Yeah, it decreases anyway. victims. It decreases victimization. Yeah, but you're lowering everything. You're lowering STDs. You're lowering abortions. You're lowering, you know, unintended pregnancies. You're lowering, lowering emotional distress. You, you know, you're lowering all kinds of things. Um, but still talk about it. But of course, the easiest is not to. I mean, that's the easiest. Um, and you know, it's one thing I remember in high school. I purposely, you know, didn't really date much, but hung out in groups because it was easier. <laughs> so I wasn't going to be in a position. You know, even though it's something, you know, we're all curious about, but uh, I would encourage, you know, teenagers, especially, you know, hang out in groups, you know, because you're not as likely to you know, have a group going uh, as you are, you know, one on one where wherever you end Yeah, up. gender mixed groups starting. Well, one one reason I love this uh, Reggio Emilia preschool philosophy um, and, mm-hmm. and now it's now it's not controversial to say this, but it's because of all the political stuff. But um, mm-hmm. there is a strong philosophy based on a lot of research that when you talk to preschool young children and you don't say, oh, look, the boys are doing that, the girls are doing that, when in a preschool setting you talk about the friends, oh, these friends are playing with this, these friends, that it actually um, increases the likelihood that they mix together. When you start separating kids by pointing out differences early on, mm-hmm. whether it's skin color differences or gender differences, they will start segregating themselves. Well, when you have segregated kids, which I saw just really extreme when we moved to the South, it wasn't that way in L.A. as much, um, mm-hmm. but segregated by gender, then you get to middle school and they're still segregating. They don't get this opportunity to like mix all the time. And you have to have them mixing and friends with each other. You have to have everyone, everyone talking openly and not feeling weird because they're going to start self-segregating, you know, once puberty hits anyway a little bit due to the awkwardness. Um, especially depends on the culture of the school and the culture of the community. But 
Mm-hmm. If you can avoid that up until middle school age and keep them talking, and, and that's another reason great sex ed involves dialoguing and scripts for that age group for middle schoolers. They like, you know, the assignments during the classes is to actually give them scripts and have them interact with each other and work out problems and work out um, scenarios and relationships so that they're practicing doing it um, in a trusted group. So when they're in relationship, they're comfortable. Yeah. So there's a lot of tools we can use so that once they get to the point where they're having sex, um, physical intimacy, that they're super well-skilled and making good choices and good communication. But it starts young, you know? Yeah, but it's interesting. Uh, and so I was going to ask you the age of middle school. I've forgotten exactly what, uh, where that would be and what you would talk about. But it seems to me that the younger, I mean, you know, when you talk about sex, we always think of the technical. You know, they think of the body parts and, the, you know, what does what. And, you know, but sex is really so much more complex than that. And so especially mm-hmm. with, with younger kids, first thing you're going to recognize is that they're boys and girls. And you're either one of those two. And it, I'm really disgusted with what's going on in schools now, especially with the, the what they call gender affirming, which to me is, you know, mutilation. You know, it's horrible what's going on in the schools these days. Um, and we may disagree on, on, on stuff. I, I don't think so on this particular. We'll find out in a minute. Um, but, uh, but as far as just teaching kids, you know, that, yeah, they're boys and girls. We're different. And we, you know, might think differently. And, you know, we're going to interact and have different feelings. And uh, I don't know how you build. I don't know. So I don't young, know that you need to point out differences. I don't know that pointing out differences. You know, I just posted something on Kanye West. Okay. And he was okay. shocked because his daughter went to school one day. And mm-hmm. she came home. And Kim said to him, Hey, honey, tell daddy what you learned in school. And she said, oh, my teacher told me my mommy's white and I'm black. And he's like, what the what? What, what business was her to say that? This child had no idea that she was different. She didn't even have a category for skin color. She's like, I'm a girl. I'm one of the kids. Yeah. I'm a friend. I got a mommy and daddy. She had no concept that she had that label. And now her whole world has changed. And Kanye, rightfully so, had a huge issue with that. He's like, what is this white teacher Telling yep. my child this, and I'll be honest, again, the politics has made this controversial, but if we take it down to the essence, we don't need to point out differences. Children will, it, well, I mean, differences it, it will naturally happen as they hit puberty. You're, you're yeah. going to see ch- children are who they are. I mean, I, I used to buy my kids, and just judge me if you want, but I used to have tutus available, strollers available. I had three boys. I was in Santa Monica, L.A. area. I was very progressive. They didn't care about it. They might once in a blue moon look at that tutu, but they were all about the trucks. They were all about um, mechanical stuff. They were all about sports. I didn't do that. They just chose. Children will choose on their own when left to choices. They will literally gravitate towards who they are. And you'll have Mm -hmm. some kind of in the middle. You'll have some that are more feminine. You'll have some that are masculine. But you don't need to shove it in their face and force them into a box. They will do it automatically. Now, again, well, and that's what I said about pointing out differences. I didn't mean in a, yeah. uh, I didn't, yeah. I didn't mean in a way to discriminate. Um, I would just say that uh, you know that's just how the world is. That there are boys and girls when you're young, and that uh, that's okay. And that you know that's. Uh, but I wasn't. I'm trying to figure out how to talk about this. I never really. You got to be careful with that, though. You yeah. got to be careful okay. because they will self-segregate. Why do we want children okay. saying? I mean, you'll watch preschool children. There's been so much science on this. You can literally watch the schools that use the gender words, boys and girls, and the schools that just say friends and um, those children, and you see how they mix or, and, and don't self-segregate versus segregate. And mm-hmm. so if the goal is community in us all, it just seems unnatural. But again, now we have this whole thing like, oh, we have to tell them that they're a boy and they're a girl to make sure they know. I don't no, agree. I don't think they're you, gonna, you know, they will think absolutely. There's nothing you can do about a child. 
and choosing okay. their gender. You, you can try to push them, but a child that, that has a certain gender identity, it's going to be very obvious. And um, we're going to see it more and more with, with additives right, in the food the and the vaccines. But, mm-hmm. I, you know, I have no problem with gender identity. I have no problem with kids changing the gender identity. I don't care about that. Yeah. What I don't want to mm-hmm. do is change the bodies. I don't want to make permanent changes to their bodies. Because well, why of would you do that? Gender. Why would you get them a tattoo? Why would you pierce their ears? And I mean, exactly. So I, I had a feeling we were going to agree. They are. I, yeah, I just wanted to, to, to sort of establish. And that. also, yeah. if we're so uh-huh. if we're so sexually inclusive, I mean, look, I'm going to say if if I was someone who was naturally attracted to someone who was gender fluid in any part of the spectrum, I'm not I'm not going to name which part of the spectrum. It doesn't matter because that's not the point. But let's okay. say I was. Would I would I be turned off if? oh my goodness, they didn't transition young enough and they're not masculine enough for me or they didn't transition young enough. They're, they're not feminine enough for me. No, they're, that person that I'm in love with that I'm attracted to has come to the table with this unique blend of traditionally mm-hmm. masculine and feminine body characteristics. So let's say they transitioned at 18, 19, 20, or even at 25, and they've already had all the hormonal and body, body changes that someone of the gender they're moving away from has gone through, Right that person is going to be super hot and sexy to me for what they're bringing to the table, like this unique mix of qualities. Maybe they have a broad, hairy chest. I mean, I'm just going to say these things. Maybe they have a broad, hairy chest. They also have a vulva. Like, wow, that's super hot and sexy. Like, why can't all of the, all of the spectrum be hot and sexy? Why do we have to change the physical gender surgically at a young age to fit into this box? It's almost the opposite of what, of what um, progressive people are, are preaching, right? Does that make sense? Why not it does, but I'm wondering why they're even doing it. Yeah, let see, this wait. never used let to be an wait. issue. This wasn't an issue yeah. 10 years ago. This wasn't an issue. You know, no one thought of actually surgically altering young kids, and now it's happening way, way, way too often. You know, I don't even think, you know, and they say that you can change. I don't think you can change your gender. You're born with your chromosomes. You're born with who you are. And you can identify something else. You can dress as something else. You can do whatever you want. It's your life. Well, you can, would, you can never, it's you know, sex versus gender. Yeah. So you can't change okay. your chromosomes. Right. Yeah. So your sex doesn't change, but your but your gender is is what you decide to be, and that's fine. If you want to live as a different thing, gender is uh, how you express it. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. So that and gender is actually the literary term. Sex is the actual term for the physical differences. But if that's a that is a good distinction to make, you know, because I mm-hmm. think people use these words interchangeably, and they're really not, you know. And there's a big difference. And kids uh, let kids be what they want to. They're not adults, so they can do, you know. But again, I would never. I don't like the, the idea of puberty blockers and surgeries and all this kind of no. stuff. No. Anytime you change a kid permanently, anything that, anytime you, the pharmaceutical company or medical community, whenever the pharmaceutical yep. or medical community gets involved, I got a side eye. I'm like, okay, they're not for our benefit. Why so anytime you get the pharmaceutical it, companies, just the money? surgical, money, yeah. money, 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 okay. money, right. so and, and, and it's almost like the scientific community these days. And, you know, I was raised in the hard sciences. My undergrad is biochemistry. Um, mm-hmm. But I will say anytime it feels like anytime it's like these days the scientific community feels like, oh, just because we can, just because we can, we're going to. Like we have the technology to make half half biological frog, half robot frog, so we're going to do it. Or we can mm-hmm. clone humans, we're going to do it. No, just because you can, there's an ethical boundaries that need to be placed. Does that mean yeah, you should? Yep. Yeah. That's the, that's the Jeff I Goldblum mean, line in Jurassic Park. Do you remember? He says, you, you only asked if you could. You never asked if you should. <laughs> you know, and that's Jeff right. Voice. Yeah, and it's very true. Yeah. So the real so, humans, the real humans mm-hmm. that are critical thinkers like you and hopefully me and, and your listeners have oh, to step up you. and say, no, we're creating yeah. boundaries here. And I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. I feel like the people, the parents are rising up and saying creating boundaries. And, um, and I'm seeing it happen. It's a good thing, protecting the children using common sense. Yeah. Yeah, I remember with my own daughter. She's definitely a daughter, but she was not treated as a gender role. 
you know, I taught her mm-hmm. to shoot, you know, and she would show me hair barrettes, you know, I mean, so she did girl stuff and, uh, and, and I don't want to say guy stuff, but I'm just saying that there were things that would cover the whole spectrum and we never made a distinction between them. Didn't matter, you know, so as far as that goes, and I think that's the way to do it with kids. The only reason I raised the, 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 the sex issue of, of, you know, girls and boys is because, you know, we do look and, and act differently. And if that's part of sex education, I think it has to be because, you know, that that's all part of it. But it's an interesting thing to explore to try and limit the, the, the difference. In other words, you, you, if you, a difference comes up from the kid, that's one thing. But if you're trying to impose a difference and, and do that, like I grew up uh, in Australia, I had, it was an all-boys school that I went to. You know, I was like eight years old to 12 years old. Who cared? You know, girls weren't a big deal at that point. When I came to the United States, all of a sudden girls were 13 and they've already gone through like puberty. I'm like, whoa, what happened? I think I missed something here. Whoa. I missed this entire. I was like, whoa, <laughs> wait a minute. See, you know, because you know, with the guys, we didn't care. We were guys on, you know, we did guy stuff. We played sports, you know. I was doing a ton of sports and, and very active in music and everything else. But, it, but what was interesting about Australia was the fact that this was, uh, it was a multiracial school that we had no word for race. We had no definition of race. There were, I think I've talked to you about this before. Mm. There was yep, absolutely, yep. there was no, it didn't even register with us. You know, did we notice there were different skin colors? Isn't that sure. lovely? Isn't it was that great. Lovely. It, it was like the, the playground Santa Monica. Yep. In Santa mm-hmm. Monica, when my kids were little, the playgrounds, it was such a rainbow. You, you just didn't. I mean, you would describe someone by the color of their hair or their, what they were wearing or the little one that's with the bigger brother over there. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and I think that's really a lovely, a lovely way to be. And I'm going to have to cut it off because I have to go pick up my children. Okay. And we're past 11, and I love talking to you. I could talk to you all day. I know. But... Yeah, we'll have to. We'll, we'll do a marathon sometime. We'll do like a Saturday, like a three-hour show in a cafe. We'll have to meet, like do a show live. That'd be fun. And I'll maybe I'll post, I can post some of these foods and these foods that help sex drive, yes. these foods that help erections, these foods that are fun. Life and health coaching page. The action so for those the action radio life and health coaching page, which uh, Dorothy Dana is a member and a, a great contributing member. So we're going to have our sex food section. This is great. I love mm-hmm. talking to you too. We have so much. And fun. you know what? I'll tell you, the health benefits are great, but for me, moving towards pleasure is the most important. So I always focus more on like what's fun in bed. But I think a lot of people do like to hear about, you know, the erection foods and the libido boosting foods. Well, only because it, it leads to more pleasure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think, that, I think that's, a, that's like the, the prerequisite. But we should talk, <laughs> about, we should talk about pleasure. Are people, here's a question for you. Are people afraid of pleasure? Let me, let me, let me oh, put we you were on told that we didn't deserve it. We were told from little okay. children, stop touching yourself there. Oh, yep. you next, shouldn't eat ice cream. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you exactly. Go. Yeah, so we'll pleasure is so important. Yeah. Absolutely. This is so cool. I love having you on the show. This is great. Thank you. Thank you, Greg. I appreciate your You're time welcome. also, and we'll talk really soon. Sounds good. We'll play a couple of things, and then we'll be done for the day. Back tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Thanks, Dorothy. What do we got here? Ah, this one. Hello, this is Greg Penglis for our newest shooting range here in Milton, Florida. Stand your ground. My friend, Jason Myers, and crew are creating an incredible facility for our city. Stand Your Ground is located at 6632 Elva Street. The phone number is 850-789-1776. Their email is standyourground1776 at gmail.com. Here you'll find either in process or already going an indoor shooting range, axe throwing, archery, a rage room, self-defense classes, concealed carry weapons classes, security license training, paintball, a full-service gun store, and 24-7 online ordering. So come on down, 
or contact them by phone, email, or website and learn how you can best stand your ground. This is Greg Penglis for Strikeforce, your source for pure energy. Strikeforce is a concentrated energy drink that turns a half liter of your favorite beverage into an energy drink. You make your energy drink yourself. Action Radio is an affiliate of Strikeforce, so our listeners get a 20% discount. All you do is add our code, WYL, to the discount code window at checkout. WYL comes from our website, Write Your Laws. So, you can get your energy drink, a 20% discount, and help Action Radio change the relationship of we the people to our government. Not bad. Strikeforce is at StrikeforceEnergy.com. That's StrikeforceEnergy.com. Start your engines. From addiction to achievement, that is the story of Mike Lindell. It started with my pillow and now goes to my coffee. Action Radio is proud to be an affiliate of my pillow. Our discount code is the same for all our product affiliates, W-Y-L, which stands for Write Your Laws. My Pillow Pillows are guaranteed the most comfortable pillow you'll ever own. Action Radio is guaranteed to be the most controversial show you will ever hear. Check out their products with our discount code at MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. That's MyPillow.com slash W-Y-L. Or order now by calling 1-800-544-8939. That's 1-800-544-8939. Sleep well so you can wake up and hear Action Radio live. Joe Biden's Dark Winter. No freedom, no liberty. No guns, no representation, no oil, no coal, no nuclear power, no space force, no constitution, no family gatherings, no vacations, just taxes, work, misery, masks, lockdowns, and ever more government. This is what will happen if you let Marxists steal the election. This has been a public service announcement of Action Radio, reminding you it's time to get off your butt and save your country. This is Greg Penglis. So what is Action Radio? It is a radio show with its own citizen legislature. That's you, the listener. It is a fully interactive system of listeners, expert guests, social media, writing bills, legislator input, bill submission, lobbying, and citizen action. Action Radio is the future of talk radio using all the available technology in one completely integrated new system. You are listening to Action Radio Online with Greg Penglis. The webpage for all Action Radio shows and podcasts is blogtalkradio.com slash citizenaction. Please share our show with all your friends and family, both nationally and internationally. The guiding principle of Action Radio is this. We the people 
give our consent to be governed through writing the laws by which we are governed.